get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Last week was really the first week when I was on the road that I said, let's take a really good swing at this if, if, if Jordan's uh, comfortable doing that. Uh, and I said, we have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. Let's let's talk at that point. And Mike said that he talked to Jordan. Jordan wanted to see if we get something done. And if we couldn't, we were going to we were going to just table it till the year was over. And over the last you know three days, we we talked about different things, different term lengths, and, and things like that. And uh, everyone came, became very comfortable with, with the contract that was there because it, it gives them security, but also. Uh, allows us to have a good team and, and at 33 it allows him just to sign another deal if he's if he if he still so desires and, and it has the abilities sometimes things just make too much sense right sometimes in life you just you you approach a scenario where it's like yeah of course that's what i'm gonna do of course why wouldn't i right and both both sides meet it with that same i would like to believe my fiance and I, we were in that situation, right? We've been together for eight years now. I proposed to her, and of course she's going to say yes, right? Uh, are we sure? I'm are pretty, we sure? Well, she did, so I hope that the answer oh, was okay. yes. So that's what this is. This is a match made in heaven. The Blues went to Jordan Bennington and said, hey, you good with where you're at right now? And Benner basically said, yeah, I like it here. And they offered him what is a fair market deal, six years, $36 million. And Bennington, God bless him, took a deal that makes a lot of sense for him now because he gets locked into a generational wealth. That's what he just did. He locked in $36 million for himself and his family moving forward. He also took less than he probably could have had on the open market. $6 million per year, I thought, was the floor for what this contract could have been for Jordan Bennington. If they go on a run this year, if they end up Fingers crossed. Winning the Stanley Cup in 2021. Jordan Bennington probably could have got about $7 million on the open market per season. And so he accepted six. He puts the Blues in a good situation. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I don't know how anybody, anybody in St. Louis today can view this as anything other than a massive success for the Blues. It's possible, BK, because I have heard from plenty of people since really? it happened last night that said this was too many years, this was too much money, you shouldn't have done this to Jordan Bennington right now. And frankly, I'm shocked. I mean, look at the numbers, BK. I went and looked at this last night, and everything just screams 
locked up Jordan Bennington. I mean, in the last three years, he leads the NHL goaltenders in wins in the postseason along with games played in the postseason. In regular season in the last three years, he's top five in games played. He's top five in wins. He's top 10 in goals against and save percentage. Everything about Jordan Bennington screams number one potential goaltender. And the the what got me, and you're going to love this because I know you love this player I'm going to compare it to. Oh, God. Jordan Bennington just did the Tom Brady move. He signed a contract extension that was cheaper than what he should have gotten on the market because he wants to be competitive. The quote that got me last night on that Zoom call, BK, being on a competitive team was something that matters to me. I'm not looking to kind of crush the bank. It's not all about money. At the end of the day, when you look back and feel in your heart as the memories made and being there for your teammates. Jordan Bennington just helped Doug Armstrong have the ability to lock up Jaden Schwartz and Colton Pareko with this contract. It was the best thing that could happen for the Blues, and I am so glad they got this done before the offseason came. So you mentioned the quote by Jordan Bennington. Let's hear from him. Why did he want to get this done now? What what motivates him, and was this all about getting that money, like you said? That's where when I say the money isn't really what drives me, is comes into play. It was more making the people realize that they should pay me rather than the actual physical money. I think that year in Providence was one of the most important years. I, I went somewhere else and I saw a different environment and, you know, I didn't play that much at the beginning and I just learned so much about myself that year and in my own ways. And um, I'm very grateful for that year looking back. Jordan Bennington's an amazing story. Like forget sports, forget sports. Just an unbelievable story. This is a guy that was an afterthought. And regardless of your walk of life, right, whether you be a starting goaltender for the NHL or if he was somebody that was going into business or sales or whatever, right? This is somebody that five years ago was an afterthought in his organization. There were multiple players that had jumped over him after he was seen as a promising young player. And those guys were the next in line to get that shot, right? He went so far. He was so far down the list that he was loaned to other teams. He spent a year in Providence where it was basically like, yeah, you're technically on the blues, but whatever. Just go play somewhere else, right? And then he gets the opportunity. He makes the most of it. He wins the Stanley Cup. He becomes one of the top 10 goalies in the NHL. He continues to take advantage of his opportunities. He keeps working on his game to be able to raise his level to even a higher degree And how many guys have we talked to this year that say he's playing better this year than he did even in that Stanley Cup run? He's a better goaltender now than he was then. Yes, I know the numbers were what they were, but in terms of like what he is as a player, he's a better player today. That's an unbelievable story, man. So for him to say, listen, I'm not motivated by the physical money. I'm motivated because... A few years ago, I was an afterthought in this organization, and now I want to convince them I'm that same person that I was then, but the player that I am today is worthy of that contract that you're considering offering me. I think there's some real value in that, in having a guy, you talk about grit, nobody personifies grit more than the current Blues goalie. You just locked up a guy, BK, who still has a lot to prove. He's not sitting there like, oh, yeah, I just want a cup and I'm one of the better goaltenders in the league. I'm good with this. Just give me my money and I'll do about my business. 
No, I mean, the quote that he said after he took the money or he signed the contract, he took a drive around downtown St. Louis. That's a guy who knows what he has to offer to the city of St. Louis. And I think that's a big reason why he signed this contract for the Blues, because he knows that there is still a lot more to give. I mean, you're right, BK. He basically was telling the Blues that I'm not content with what I have done yet, and I want to go out there and prove more. He was at the point in 2018, the Blues wanted to send him to the East Coast Hockey League because they didn't want him to clog minutes in the AHL for Ville Husso and Evan Fitzpatrick. And Jordan Bennington basically said, blank that, you're sending me to the American Hockey League. I'm not an East Coast Hockey League goaltender. They sent him to Providence, and the rest is history. So the Blues not only got a competitive fire, they got a guy who the teammates can trust, which is a huge component with your goaltender. It's not just about the stats. It's about having a guy in the net that your defensemen, that your forwards, that your goaltender, or that your coaches can trust in any situation. And you just locked him up for six years still in the prime of his career from 27 to 33. And Doug Armstrong said something yesterday that reminded me of a quarterback for an NFL team. Because I remember what it was like to be a Chiefs fan, a Chiefs fan in the lean years when we were going from Brody Croyle to Damon Heward and everything in between. You had all these cast off quarterbacks and you were always searching for the guy. It was always who's going to be the next guy. And until you find that player, you're not a real threat in any way in the AFC. It's the same thing in the NHL if you don't have a goalie. I was interviewing uh, Pat Burns back uh, early 2000s in Dallas when I was hiring a coach. And we were talking about transferring from Eddie Belfort to Marty Turco. And he said, well, goaltending is 80% of the game. Unless you don't have it, then it's 100 so <laughs> he said, I, I hope this Turco is a good goalie. And that, that's always stuck with me that, you know, you, you need good goaltending uh, to, to be a competitive team in this league. And, you know, we, we believe that Benner is, has shown that. And we still think at this age, he's, he's, he can continue to get better. He is the guy that gives the Blues a chance. Now, there's other players that are a part of that, right? Ryan O'Reilly is a significant piece to what the Blues are building. Braden Shin, all of these guys, you, you know the names by now. But if you don't have that guy in net, and the Blues have been here before. You're a Blues fan, you, you know. They've yep. been searching for this guy basically for 20 years now. Really, the entire existence of the franchise, but especially the last 20 years. Now they have him, and you lock that guy up. 100 times out of 100. And when it doesn't cost you an exorbitant amount of money, and it's going to continue to allow you to build, as you said, with Colton Pareko staying around for the long term if he's able to get healthy. And Jaden Schwartz hopefully signing up long term. This is a building block. This is a pillar to what the Blues organization wants to be, not only for 2021, but for years to come. This allows them to continue extending this current five-year winning window that they're in. A hundred percent. I mean, look, if there's no Jordan Bennington, you're either overpaying for a goaltender on the market where there's really not big names on the market like it was this past offseason, or you're going with Ville Husso. And I don't know if anybody would be comfortable with Ville Husso right now as a number one goaltender. What you did was you locked up your cornerstone pieces and you did extend this championship window because look, let's say that the Blues aren't able to retain Jaden Schwartz or the Blues lose David Perron. You can always go out and find yourself another forward that can score goals or play into the system. You can always go out there and find another defenseman that can play to the system. You can't go out there and find a guy who can stop pucks the way that Jordan Bennington stops pucks. And again, I'm seeing so many people on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 talking about how, well, 
I'm not sure if he's the superstar goaltender that you need. Don't look at the goals against or save percentage. Look at what he does game in and game out this season. I think almost every game that he has played, BK, other than a couple, I think it was the first two, the one against the Colorado Avalanche where he was yanked and the one against the LA Kings, it's been one goal games for the St. Louis Blues. And that's Jordan Bennington making the saves that he should be making and some of the saves that he shouldn't be making to keep this team a cup contender and that window wide open. Yeah, and I mean, you can look at the goals against and the save percentage. He's been really good. Like, you you, you don't even have to limit it, right? You, you can go with the, the typical formulas that we look at. If you go by save percentage at five on five so far this year, He's 20th in the league among all goaltenders, the 37 of them that have played at least 500 minutes this year. He's right towards the middle of the pack. And that's the thing about this contract, Alex. You don't need him to be a superstar. You just need him to be really good. And as long as he continues sustaining this level of play, which I have no doubt that he can, you're in a really good spot moving forward. And he's a guy that's going to give you a chance to continue competing at a championship level. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11:15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. As you can imagine, we're going to have plenty on the Jordan Bennington contract moving forward this morning. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show to give your thoughts on the contract. Coming up next though, ESPN just signed a deal with the NHL to be the one of the platforms for the league moving forward. Linda Cohn has been a longtime NHL supporter. She's going to talk to us about that news coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the one and only Linda Cohn. She's an ESPN Sports Center anchor, as you know. She's also the host of In the Crease on ESPN Plus and an avid NHL fan over the years. Linda, first of all, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. How are you doing? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Absolutely. So I, I wanted to get your reaction. I know you're a huge hockey fan. When you saw that your company ESPN is getting the rights once again to the NHL, what was your initial reaction? Uh, ecstasy. Come on. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, I'm one of the, the, the people that have kept the light on here at ESPN, of course, uh, for the NHL. I'm not alone, um, but, you know, I've been front and center and trying to keep hope alive. And I knew uh, one day it would return because I just felt that, you know, uh, first of all, it would be silly if it didn't. It's such a fabulous product. It's only getting better and better with all this young talent and great storylines. And let me tell you the reaction. I've been getting text messages, tweets, you name it, people congratulating me like I simply had something to do with it. But, uh, you know, I'll take I'll take it. But the fact is, I just think it's great for it's win win. It's great for the National Hockey League. It's great for ESPN and its family of networks and the Walt Disney Company. Um, and it's where we're at now. I mean, the, the way the games will be dis, um, distributed and, you know, ESPN Plus has just been a blockbuster for the Walt Disney Company and ESPN. And uh, this is where we're at. I mean, this is how we're going to be able to see games any any uh any way we can and it's just so easy to do so and right now with you know i really love the past two plus years hosting in the crease a daily hockey highlight show on espn plus and you know the last year and a half we've had nhl games 
you know, on ESPN Plus. So um, I knew, I just felt with all with that trending in the right direction here, I knew that this day was going to come. So I'm very excited. And it'll be here before we know it. It starts for us this October. I know, perfect time to start too, right after the expansion draft, Linda, when you get Seattle into the league. I'm curious though, Linda, because you have been a part of the uh, fantastic history with ESPN and NHL. And when you think of names like yourself, Barry Melrose, Steve Levy, Gary Thorne. I mean, all of these names just talk about the legacy of hockey back in the day on ESPN. Well, you know what? It's not only fans like me that loved it. And I was at ESPN, obviously, when we had the contract. It was 17 years ago was the last year, 16 years ago. But um, I started in 1992. It's just hockey fans knew where to go, right? I mean, they knew that if they wanted to see uh, a hockey game nationally, they would go to ESPN or ESPN2 at that time. And plus, here's the thing, you know, young, maybe your younger listeners and, you know, don't realize, don't remember, you know, the coverage back in the day that ESPN had when they had the hockey contract. It was amazing. I mean, the athletes were in sports center commercials. Uh, it was, a, you know, a definitely top priority uh, in all the mainstream shows. Obviously, the number one show was Sports Center at that time. And so when ESPN, uh, I truly believe this, when ESPN owns something and invests so, so much money into something and time commitment, this is a seven-year deal. Uh, everyone is going to be blown away regarding the coverage and the exposure this league and these players will get. And let me tell you, plenty of players and current players have reached out to me. They are pumped up. What do you think this means for the league, Linda? Because obviously the, the headline for a lot of fans is the money, right? Like now there's going to be an influx of money that's coming into the NHL. And that's obviously great for the sport. But in terms of the exposure, like you were just mentioning, what, what can this mean for the NHL? I just think it, it means wonders. I mean, it, it, it's where it should be. I always thought it's a part of the major sports or major sports. I, it'll, it'll lock that in um, and it will, uh, you know, Every hockey, as you guys know, I mean, I don't have to tell you guys and your listeners that, you know, uh, you know, we're not foolish. We know uh, for the past couple of decades, especially hockey is more of a regional sport. But I think being back on ESPN, that is about to change. It is going to become, you know, a national and more obviously an international sport because Everyone can get a hold of ESPN, and now with ESPN Plus, of course, it's just so easy to get hockey in your life if you haven't already. And, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, a lot of people also getting back to people who don't remember when ESPN had the contract and was, co- and was you know, all in on ESPN and covering games and all of this, is the fact that... Um, you know, ESPN has changed over the years, right? You know, I mean, they're, they have a different look. I mean, like Stephen A. Smith is the face of the franchise, right, and all this. And he was putting out some funny material yesterday, but it was all tongue-in-cheek. But you're going to see uh, people who don't, you know, even, you know, uh, talented people that work for ESPN right now who really, you know, don't have hockey in their life, they are open to it. And so I think that's also a great thing, too. And, and they're going to do their due diligence to make everyone look uh, good and treat it the way it's supposed to be as a fourth, you know, as a major sport in, 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 you know, and definitely in North America. Linda, as you look at the NHL now compared to what it was at the beginning of your career at ESPN, when the NHL was there, how do you think that, what, what areas do you think it's grown its best in? 
Well, I think that the, uh, the, I mean, there was, the game has changed, right? It was so much more physical back in the day, um, you know, regard, you know, the, the stuff that is under review by the NHL player safety uh, commission uh, never used to be those hits, you know, that, that was like every day at the park, every day on the rink was, you know, yeah, that's the way the game was played. But now, you know, it's great for another reason because of the speed and because of the skill and you still have the big bodies, but I just think that the talent level and the depth of these players, listen, doing a daily show, like in the crease, you know, hockey highlights. I mean, there's a different hero every night. I mean, now, of course, you know, these, these rosters are a bit different. They have taxi squads, but you can just tell the depth of each and every team, including on the blues where you're like, Oh wow. I, I didn't even know he was like, you know, on the roster, you know, type of thing, you know, <laughs> and and, we've been and, doing and that a lot this year, Linda. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, like, Hey, it happens. It's with every single team. Trust me. Um, so the point is there's so much depth. Now there's so much more talent from top to bottom. It's not just the top six forwards. It's, you know, four lines, you know, uh, top four defensemen and your goaltending is great. You know, the goaltending is great. So bottom line is this, what I love about what ESPN can do and will do besides the amazing exposure and coverage and why this is great for the league is that they will bring out the personalities of these players. These players I've always said to me, as we all know, who covers hockey, they are the all due respect to other players and other sports who also I love, but I don't know, hockey players are the nicest and they are, they're hidden funny. You know, they're, they're hidden dry stand-up comics. And I think ESPN is capable uh, to bring out those kind of personalities more than any other network. And you're, you're going to see that. Linda Cohn, ESPN Sports Center anchor and host of In the Crease on ESPN Plus, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Just a couple of questions left for you. Linda, I did want to ask you about actual hockey on the ice. And let's yeah. talk about the Blues for a second because yeah. they just got through a fantastic road trip out in California, 4-0-2 on that road trip. Despite the fact that right now, I think they're basically the walking wounded. Um, they've been playing yeah. without half of their lineup for much of the season. What's what's your impression of this team thus far? What what have you what has stood out about the St. Louis Blues in 2021 to Linda Cohn? Well, here's the thing. I mean, first of all, great leadership with Ryan O'Reilly. That's number one. OK, the day that this team made Ryan O'Reilly the captain. It was like, oh, yes, you know, that was the only pick. That's number one. Number two is the fact, you know, it always comes down to your leadership, right? And that is behind the bench with Craig Berube. And I'm not in those in the dressing room. I'm not, you know, in any meetings uh, with this team. But I know this. You know, Craig Berube said, okay, next guy up you know, with all the injuries that this team has endured. And that has to be the mentality. And, you know, if you want to stick around, you want to play like it's your last game in the National Hockey League. And that's the kind of performance, you know, uh, role players, you know, on the Blues are coming through. You know, they're coming through with all the injuries that you guys have, you know. Um, so, and here you are in a battle for first place yet again with the Vegas Golden Knights, a point away. And, you know, you guys are battling tonight, as you know, and I, I think it's fantastic. Linda, my final question for you. Yesterday was it was a year since the pandemic hit, and, and things have changed so much in sports. But we all remember kind of the, I guess, the good old days, air quotes, uh, of what it was like covering sports. Give me some of your favorite memories of covering the National Hockey League, whether it's been in the locker room or covering some type of certain team or some event. Is there something that sticks out to you? 
Well, I always say the best moments and things uh, that I've come across in sports in person is the stuff that I wasn't working for, where I made sure I wasn't working so I can enjoy it as a fan. And, of course, for me, it was when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. I couldn't believe it happened in my lifetime back in 1994. And I made sure I was in that building as a fan. And I was very – I went to a lot of those games in the postseason because I want to be able to enjoy it. You know, this is why we get into the business because we're fans first. But on a professional level, I really enjoyed the Stanley Cup final between the Penguins and the Nashville Predators. Covered that entire three-week, uh, you know, extravaganza traveling, which I really miss. But hanging out in Nashville and doing some fun pieces and reports from uh, Broadway there in bars and fun drinking establishments with the fans uh, at all hours, you know, and, you know, either waking up and like smelling the night before on that street doing early morning (laughs) hits, you know, or, you know, staying out late and doing the hits after the game. It was really so memorable. And also just getting to know um, Sidney Crosby and, and the great Pittsburgh Penguins. Of course, they won that Stanley Cup final. Uh, just what a professional organization. But it really got me to appreciate Sid uh, so much, just the way he handled himself in the dressing room and on the ice. Just uh, you know why he is a you know Hall of Famer and three Stanley Cup winner and was the perfect successor to Mario Lemieux in Pittsburgh. And so those are just a couple of quick uh, takeaways and memories of being lucky enough and grateful enough to, A, grow up loving the National Hockey League, and B, being able to uh, make it my profession. Well, Linda, we're looking forward to being able to see you back in in the fold with NHL and ESPN, this partnership that they have agreed upon. We can't wait to see you here in St. Louis as well as, as things get a little bit more normal. Thanks so much for the time today, and we'll talk with you again soon. That would be great. I look forward to it. Thanks a lot, guys. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thanks, Linda. That's Linda Cohn, ESPN Sports Center anchor and the host of In the Crease on ESPN+. Plus. Just a couple of days after ESPN and the NHL officially announced their new partnership for the NHL to be on ESPN. Looking forward to that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, the Cardinals are kind of sending some mixed messages on Alex Reyes. Guys, I'm ready to rule out Reyes as a starter at the beginning of the season. I think it's time to talk about whether we should still continue to rule him out as a starter at the end of the year, though. We'll tell you why coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Do we have a... uh, a cap, you know, of 80. I just kind of threw that out there as like a a busy year for a guy out of your bullpen, you know, and that takes a lot of, you know, you got to be in good shape to do that. You know, you figure you're pitching one inning every other game. That's that's pretty busy and you have to be healthy to do that. Going back to Alex, uh, you know, 80 is not per se a hard cap. It's just kind of a we stand here right now say, what would you like to get out of your primary relievers? Well, if we get 80 innings out of our primary relievers, we're in pretty good shape. That means we're winning a lot of games. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Mike Maddox yesterday talking about what he expects for Alex Reyes this upcoming season. Man, I'm starting to wonder. I'm starting to give some some real thought with this here noggin about what That's the Cardinals' idea, plans are with Alex Reyes because we heard the audio the other day. It sounds like the Cardinals have basically put the kibosh on Alex Reyes starting out the year in the rotation. And I get that. I understand it. And I think it's the right call to not have him start out the season as a starter. 
I'm still not giving up hope, though, that he could be a starter to finish the season. I, we heard Mo say about 100 innings. Mike Maddox said yesterday 80, 80 plus innings is kind of what they're looking for. I think that's the range. If I had to guess what the Cardinals are targeting for 2021, I bet you they're looking for between 80 and 100 innings in the regular season for Alex Reyes. Man, getting that many innings, I know people say it's not hard for a reliever to do. Yes, it is. A guy like this that's going to take some off days after a two-inning outing, it's going to be really hard to get him up to 100 innings as a true reliever without starting any games this season. So, Alex, I'm curious from your perspective, do do you get the sense that if things are going well for him, he's in a good place and you're going into August and you have a little bit of a need maybe for an upgrade in that fifth spot in the rotation or you need a spot start here and there. Do you think they would give Alex Reyes that shot? You know what, BK? I'm starting to lean the opposite direction that they're not going to give him the shot. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm really starting to lean in the direction of they are going to be extremely cautious with Alex Reyes. And the only reason I'm leaning that direction is look what they did with Jack Flaherty last season. Now, I understand Flaherty's younger. Flaherty's got more control. Alex Reyes is a little bit older. But they're, when they're cautious with the player, they're really cautious. And to say that there is an 80 to 100 inning cap for this kid, and BT was with us yesterday on the crossover and said, like, that's not going to be difficult to accomplish. And we listed off all of the names that are in front of Alex Reyes before he gets the shot. I understand the competitiveness. I understand you want to have the best pitcher in that spot. But I really think that the Cardinals are saying Alex Reyes is the last resort. And when I mean last resort, I mean we've gone through every pitcher that we could possibly go through. We went out and made a trade, and that guy didn't work out. Then we finally hit Alex Reyes because I think Reyes is going to be very needed out of the bullpen this season, especially if Gant and Ponce are being utilized in the rotation. Do you know how many Cardinals relievers in the last 20 years? So the modern era for the Cardinals last 20 years have thrown at least 80 innings out of the bullpen exclusively 80 innings. I'm not even asking for a hundred 80 innings for the Cardinals out of the bullpen in the last 20 years. I bet Manus was one because mm-hmm. Matheny threw his arm off 2014 solid Bowman. Oh, Bowman like did a lot. Bowman did not get to 80 innings at any point. Fernando Salas. Nope. Well, Tony used what about um, Sanchez? Ryan Franklin was another. He, he got, got to, to exactly 80 innings in 2007. And Dave Veers was the other back in 2002. Okay. Those are the three. Name. There are three him. Cardinals relievers in the last 20 years that have yeah, got but- at least 80 innings as an exclusive reliever. Man, it's it's really hard to do because you have to have so many appearances. The role that they are trying to carve out for Alex Reyes is a really unique one, man. And I, I trust Mike Maddox. I think he's a guy that can can utilize him in the correct way. I trust Mike Schilt to be able to utilize him in the correct way. Getting into 50 games... To be able to be a reliever, you have to be on a really strict schedule with zero setbacks and to be used exactly the right way every single time to be able to make that work. And so I just, I think that if they really are looking at 80 to 100 innings, I think you're going to see him get spot starts here and there. Maybe it's not your traditional six, seven inning start, but I think he's going to end up with three or four inning starts, especially late in the year. Yeah, but BK, I mean, they're they're saying 80 to 100 is the max, but that's the max. Like, I don't know if that means they need they to didn't get say, though, to 80 They didn't to say cap. They, I, I mean, if you if you listened to that Mike Maddox say, statement, he said, I'm not saying it's a cap that we're talking about here, but that's kind of the target range that we're looking at. 
but if that's the target range, that's where they want to get to. But that doesn't mean they have to get to it this season. And if they're going to be cautious with Alex if Reyes. If you don't, though, of- how can you start him next year? If you end up at 60, how could you bump up to 150 next year? I don't think you can, right? Well, maybe it's not bumping it up to 150 next year. Maybe it's bumping it to 100 next year or something like that. It just it doesn't seem like it's a it's a it's in the mindset of the Cardinals right now to say Reyes will be a starter at some point this season for us. It really seems like, and Maddox said, primary reliever. If this is a primary reliever for them, I don't see how you can say, okay, we need you in the rotation now because he's the primary reliever for them. Man, he only has three years left on his contract. Like, I, I've been all for, I, I've been the guy arguing for taking him out of the bullpen all off season, right? I've been the guy that said like, Hey, you've got to be really careful. And Tanner has pushed back on me, pushed back on me. And it's fair. Yeah, let him, let him go saying, Hey, yeah. take the training wheels off. Let's see what this guy can do. Let's see if he flourishes as a starter. And I, I get that. I, I get the intrigue behind Alex Reyes. If you're going to do this this year and you get him to like 60 innings and next year, once again, you're going to get him to hundred to 120 innings. You're in the final year of his contract. He's going to be 28 years old, and you're still not going to know if he can make it through a full season as a, as a regular starter for you. And I just, I think that's kind of bad business, honestly. If you're not able to get him to a point this year where you feel confident that going into next year, he is slated in every fifth day as a starter, I think you, I, I think that the plan that whatever it was, if it goes according to plan and they still don't get there, that that's a problem for them going into next season. In my, in my opinion, I think Alex Reyes needs to be ready next year to get that full workload, whatever yeah, that means. And I, I just, I, part of me just feels as if a primary bullpen pitcher will have the opportunity to build into that starter. I mean, we've seen it in the past. I mean, Tanner made the example a couple of days ago of Lance Lynn being the guy that has come out of the bullpen. And, and, you know, maybe they, Maybe they try and do a start here and there, but I don't see Alex Reyes as a starter this season for the Cardinals. And again, I I was with you for a really long time, but the more I'm starting to think about it and the more I'm hearing everyone speak, it's really coming to me where John Mozeliak is implementing this within the organization of Alex Reyes as a reliever, and that's it this season. Yeah, the the thing with Lynn, though, the the difference is Lynn was starting in the minors, got the call up, was in the pen, and then you he was basically built up to be a starter, and then that next season he's ready. Reyes isn't there. I I think it's very important that you build him up this season so he is ready to go. Like next year, if you want to have training wheels on him, which I disagree with for this season, I understand. But there's no reason for training wheels next year. And I think if he's a reliever all season, he's got training wheels still on him come next season. Yeah, Lance yeah, Lynn. I don't think so. Lance Lynn back in uh, 2011, I guess it would have been, played um, as a reliever for the Cardinals, and he finished that year with 100 innings between the big league club and the minor leagues. The year prior, he threw 165 innings for Memphis. Like, it's just, it's kind of apples and oranges because, as Tanner said, he was so built up. His arm was ready to go. He was ramped up as a starter. And, by the way, he was a college pitcher prior to that. Um that he he was ready for that workload. Alex Reyes isn't coming from that same starting point. Yeah, I, I again I might be proven wrong with this, but it, it just uh, I think you can build him up to be the starter for you next season. It's not going to be the hundred innings out of the bullpen, but I think you could get him to a sweet spot of maybe <laughs> sixty to seventy innings and feel confident that because let's also take into consideration if you, if they make the postseason, you're going to get innings in the postseason with Alex Reyes as well. So it just it really feels as if Reyes will get there, but it's not going to be as a starter. I, I 
I just feel that there's such a big difference between being a because I'm assuming with him in the bullpen, they're going to use him as higher leverage than if that's what his role is going to be. Yeah, because you got to get the most out of whatever that role is. Yeah, so I just feel like there's such a big difference of kind of a innings limit with him and saying, all right, you're a high leverage guy this year, and then next year you're a starter. I mean, we've seen teams try this in the past. The Rangers did it with, I think it was uh, Natalie Feliz. He was a closer, and I'm not saying that's what Rays will be, but high leverage, so th- I think it's a somewhat comparable comp here. Feliz was a high-leverage guy in the bullpen. They tried to make him a starter, and then he struggled because he adjusted so much to being that reliever. I fear if you just make him a full-time reliever that you try to start him, it's going to be a problem come next season. If you're going to make him a full-time reliever this year, I want to see him stick in the bullpen throughout his contract with the Cardinals. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. So we have a little bit of news to pass along on Miles Michaelis. This comes from the Cardinals. Uh, he is going to go at least a week without throwing so that the team can further gauge the cause and best uh, treatment for the soreness and inflammation within his right shoulder. This is according to Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Um, an MRI, according to Gould, taken of his right shoulder, showed inflammation that was confirmed by Mo today. It did not find structural abnormalities at the moment, so that's important. Um, they say that about the next 7 to 10 days – is probably how long he's for sure going to be off of his throwing program, and then they're going to re-examine him at that point. He does have some more tests to go through over the next two or three days to figure out what the cause is for this inflammation, but it's inflammation in his right shoulder right now. That's where he's at, Um, and it's going to be about seven to ten days at this point before he starts throwing again. Boys, that takes you through at a minimum, basically, March 20th of not throwing. If we assume it's going to be... About a month after that, in terms of how long it's going to be for him to be able to build back up, I I think it's fair to assume at this point, at a minimum, Miles Michaelis probably won't be with the team for the first month of the season. That's, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. at a minimum right now. That's where I'm at. I'm looking at May would be the first time you see Miles Michaelis, which, depending on the amount of games, I haven't looked hard at the schedule, but that would be probably about four starts for Miles Michaelis he would miss. So not going to completely destroy the team. And the fact that it's inflammation gives a little hope with uh, Miles Michaelis. But to miss a month of it, man, you're going to need big innings from Ponce de Leon and John Gant, whoever gets that uh, fifth rotation spot. Yeah, It's about 25 games that he's going to be missing. So you could miss four to five, five spots in the rotation yeah. potentially for for his first time around in that in that month of April. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. the air comfort service sex line for questions and answers from the 618 guys how is it that tanner's actually continuing to get better and bk still sucks at his job it's pretty tanner. simple tanner is talented <laughs> he, he's really good at this thank and you text line thanks he, mom he didn't have a ton of experience when he came in and now he's getting experience and he's getting better he's tremendous okay. Tinfoil Ferrario here. I looked up the phone number that sent that text message to the Air Comfort Service text line, and it's Tanner's number. Ah, it's Tanner's number. Tanner's trying to get after me, isn't he? He's trying. Yeah, he's, he's trying, trying to, to get, get your under job. my skin a little bit. You know, he's not happy the fact that you got promoted twice during a <laughs> pandemic. So Tanner's trying to get after you a little bit. BK. Tanner got promoted too. Yeah, I got promoted. Tanner, Tanner literally came in as a part timer like six months ago, and now he's he's like. 
the blues guy, the midday, basically third co-host. I mean, yeah. this guy's had a hell of a come up during the pandemic as well. Let's not you forget know, that. Another tinfoil Ferrario here. Um, Tanner went to school and learned under our very own Mike Ryder. Ah. Makes sense why he's probably better than both of us combined, BK. It's a good point. You, you make a good point there. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. This one's interesting. I'll ask this of you, Alex. From the 618, guys, should the Blues consider leaving Pareko unprotected? It would sign them money and it, to get a good forward, and it would leave a spot for Perunovic if Seattle were to take him. Plus, I have serious questions about Pareko recovering from a back injury. I I would personally say no. I would keep Colton Pareko, but is there any is there any reason to consider that? No, there's not because I mean, look, we don't know that it is a back injury. That is the report. And look, Jeremy Rutherford is one of the best around, so I take his word for it. But we don't know that that's what I he's going through. I think it's fair to say right that that's now. probably what it is. It is, but, you know, you don't know yet. So and we don't know to the extreme of what this is right sure. now. They might be being very cautious with the Colton Pareko to make sure and get him back when they know he's 100%. Regardless of that, players have come back from back injuries, and they've come back and they've performed well. Colton Pareko is a destined number one defenseman. Heck, he probably right now is a number one defenseman when healthy. You don't expose a Colton Pareko because without him, Scott Perunovich is not Colton Pareko. Scott Perunovich is to the level of what Vince Dunn can be. That's not Colton Pareko. So, no, I would not expose him. And, I mean, right now he's making $5.5 million. I would imagine he's going to be somewhere around seven, seven and a half when he re-signs. You can make do with that. And I don't really think you need to go out there and find yourself a elite forward. You have plenty of those. You need depth forward right now. I agree with you. I, w- I would protect Pareko. Um, now, give me, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think I would protect Pareko, Falk, Krug. Yeah. And I mean, there's, I mean, you're leaving Scandella. And Mikola. Mikola. Mikola is the one that it hurts. It, this team's going to lose somebody that they don't want to lose. Like, there's, there's no way around it for them just because... And it's a credit to Doug Armstrong. We'll talk about this here in a little bit, but they just have too many good players. And that's a good problem to have. But when it comes to an expansion draft where you can only protect seven forwards and three defensemen, you have like nine forwards that you really like. And you have four or five defensemen that you really like. And so somebody's going to be exposed that you don't want to. Keep an eye on Marco Scandella, too. Now, I don't think he's at the top level of somebody to select, but he's playing top four minutes for you right now and very well. And he's only making like $3.275 million for the next five years. That's a heck of a deal for a team that needs a top four defenseman that's cheap. So keep an eye on him. He could be another casualty as well in this draft. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Guys, Tom Brady re-signed once again today for another year. Is Alex still sure that he's not going to be with the Bucks five years from now? Yes. So he's what? Signed basically through the age of 45. Mm-hmm. And what we talked about yesterday was the age of 50. There's no freaking way that Tom Brady well, goes another. Years. We said five more years. Don't say 50. So 49. So 49. Okay. There's no way that he goes. 40, it would be age 48 season. Because next year is going to be his age 44. Okay. Yeah, then five. Math is hard. No, it, <laughs> Math is really hard, especially live on air. And I haven't had all of my coffee yet. No, it's not happening. I'm sticking to this. Tom Brady will go out into the sunset after this contract is done with Tampa. I'm not going to say that much yet, uh, just because I, I've been saying that for like the last five years myself. So 
I'll say right now, I'm still sure he's not going to play another five just because I think at some point we're going to see him hit the wall that Peyton Manning hit. Hey, man, you guys keep being on that that corner. I'm going to carve out my corner over here on oh, Tom geez. Brady Island. It's worked out Take pretty off. well for me over the years. Take off your Tom Brady underwear, BK. Come on now. You Give it back those? to Jamie. You can oh, see yeah, those? I can see them. They okay. look great, by the way. What about the socks? Do you like those? No, not as not okay. as good. That's fair. Legs look good though, buddy. Way to, way to go. Well, they're chicken legs. But let's be honest here. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Last one here from the three one four. Guys, when Mizzou beats Arkansas tonight, are you ready ah. to buy into this team? M I Z. I love eating bacon. So did you did you send this text in, BK? No. Yep, that's his number. That looks like your number, Alex. Did you watch that game last night? I did. It was too close for comfort. Well, I mean, you didn't have Against to Georgia. Because it's the same damn game that we've been watching for a month with this team. Every one of these goes the same exact way. They are who we thought they were. We let them off the hook. Since basically, let's see here. Uh, Honestly, since the start of SEC play, it's been the same game on repeat. Now, the (laughs) endings, you can turn the game on with two minutes left and just start from because the endings are totally unpredictable. It wildly fluctuates from one game to the next as to whether or not Mizzou is going to be able to make shots at the end. Maybe Xavier Pinson's going to be the best player on earth. Maybe he's not going to know what he's doing. And he like mishandles the ball. It goes off of his foot and straight into the defender's hands who throws it up for a, a lob and a dunk that wins the game for the opponent. Anything is possible in the that last two very, minutes of a that Mizzou was, game. That was oddly specific there, BK. Because it happens all <laughs> the time. That like, kind of attitude. I don't understand <laughs> what's happening to this team. I saw Joe Lenardi put out his uh, his bracketology from one month ago today, Alex. One month ago today. Mizzou and first? Illinois were both on the one line. They were both one seeds. Mizzou today is on the nine seed. They're a nine. Not great. Illinois still a one, and Mizzou has fallen all the way to the oh ninth seed. Gosh. So to answer the question, uh, I, I mean, I would love for Mizzou to win tonight. I think it would be amazing. I know exactly how this is going to go. You can tune in with two minutes remaining, and you'll find out if they win or not. But up until then, nothing else matters. The first 38, 38 minutes of this game do not matter at all. Perfect. Do not draw any sort of right, predictions great. or anything or conclusions based on the first 38 minutes. So I'll, I'll be I'll be watching and listening to the Blues game. I'll be doing my pre and post. And then the final 60 seconds, BK, text me and I'll turn it on <laughs> and watch Mizzou lose to Arkansas. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, Mizzou is 7-1 and one in games decided by five points or fewer. Why didn't you expand it to six points? <laughs> Uh. Because they <laughs> lost to LSU 86 to 80 in a game that was completely open at the end. Um, and they just couldn't pull it off. They lost by <laughs> seven against Ole Miss in a game that they had no business losing. Um, they lost in overtime against Arkansas. Again, a game they had no business losing at Auburn by six points. It's been a weird year, man. It's been a weird year for this Missouri Tigers team. They beat Alabama. They beat Illinois. Never they beat Oregon. Never and then they lose to some of these crap teams on the schedule. All right, I've upset somebody, BK, on the text line. How dare you, Alex, saying that they will lose to Arkansas. Okay, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. I hope they win. If, if they win, if they win, I will come on these airwaves Monday and call myself a complete idiot. I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to talking about this Jordan Bennington deal because it's given the Blues flexibility 
to be able to do some really exciting things in the offseason. We'll tell you what coming up next on 101 ESPN. That team sure did suck last night. They just plain sucked. I've seen teams suck before, but they were the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You can't keep everybody. That That's just the reality of today's NHL. Uh, but Binner was the guy that, that we had circled and, and that wanted to be here, you know, also. As I said, it's a two-way street just because we circle it and he doesn't mean he circles it. And, uh, you know, that that's... I give Mike Lee a lot of credit for, for understanding that, you know, and working with us to, to get something done now so we can continue to build a good team. That was Doug Armstrong last night after the announcement that Jordan Bennington has officially agreed on a six-year, $36 million deal with the St. Louis Blues. Going to keep him here for the next six seasons with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So one of the benefits of getting this deal done now is that Doug Armstrong now has certainty about what he's going to have to pay for Jordan Bennington. And if he had uncertainty, especially going into the offseason, he was going to have to allocate more than $6 million because there was just... I mean, who knows what some of these goalie needy teams were going to be willing to offer Jordan Bennington, a Stanley Cup winning goalie once he hits the open market. So getting it done now brings certainty there. They have a lot of decisions to make here pretty soon, man. This offseason is going to be wild for the Blues, and it's why it was so important to get this done now. Jaden Schwartz is up for free agency. Mike Kaufman, if they want to bring him back, he's a free agent. Walker, Bozak, Gunnarsson all hit in the open market. I would imagine that those aren't guys that will likely be back, except maybe Nathan Walker, and he would be coming on the cheap. But it's not just unrestricted. Sanford, Cairo, Dunn, Thomas, De La Rose, and Barbashev are all hitting restricted free agency as well. And then, on top of all of those names that I just mentioned, you also have the expansion draft where you're going to have to protect players and somebody's going to be selected that you don't want to lose. So, Alex, this was just the first in what is going to be a long lines of, line of moves this offseason, but the benefit of them getting it done early is now they know exactly what they have to work with to be able to get some of these other moves done. Yeah, and, you know, BK, I was looking at kind of the, the situation for this upcoming offseason in terms of the contract, and I wrote down Bennington making $6 million yesterday afternoon kind of because that was where we were thinking the sweet spot was going to be. So right now, with Bennington under contract, they would have about $65 million committed to next season with their players, which would include about 10 forwards, six defensemen, and two goaltenders. And then they got some minor league guys that would be in that conversation as well. So that gives you roughly about $15 million to make moves that you feel is necessary before the expansion draft. I would say, and agree with me here, guys, or disagree with me here, Jaden Schwartz is going to be somewhere between six and a half, seven million dollars per year. I put it at six and a half because I think Doug Armstrong is going to comp him to Braden Shen. So if that's that sweet spot for Braden, uh, for Jaden Schwartz, and then I put two million dollars for Jordan Cairo and two million dollars for Robert Thomas, both kind of guys getting that bridge contract due to injuries and due to just not being up at the NHL level. So right there, that's another ten and a half million dollars that you've committed, which gives you about. 
$5 million of cap space to decide what to do with guys like Ivan Barbashev, with guys like Zach Sanford, Mike Hoffman, and then you have the expansion draft. So when it all comes down to, to it, BK, it comes down to who you're going to expose. Yeah. If you expose David Perron and he gets selected, well, guess what? You just added an extra $4 million to your cap situation. If you keep David Perron and lose a Jaden Schwartz, well, now you've opened up about $10 million of cap situation for yourself. So, Well, it, you didn't open anything up technically, but you have that the $6.5 million that you set aside for Schwartz. Now that is available for somebody else correct. if you wanted to go get them. The reason I went through all of that, though, is because the Blues did themselves a favor. Because if Bennington makes anything more than $6 million per year, if we're talking $7 million per year, or if we're even talking $8 million per year, the Blues put themselves in a situation where they are going to have to go a lot younger with some of their depth players, which is always a problem. And you're also putting yourself in a situation where you were going to lose either Jaden Schwartz or Colton Pareko. Now, with this contract, you don't have that capability. You do have the possibility of locking all of these guys up. Yeah, for sure. And it, going through this exercise, so the guys that you mentioned, Schwartz, Kairou, Thomas, that's about $10 million. You essentially have $5 million to play with for everything else that you want to do in the offseason. Again, uh, acknowledging that that could expand a little bit depending on who you lose in the expansion draft. And we didn't mention what they're going to do with Sanford, Don, De La Rose, Barbashev. Barbashev's going to be back. If they can keep him, if he doesn't get a, um, selected in the uh, expansion draft, he's a guy that you're going to want to have back. So that's let's put him down for another $2 million. So now you're down to $3 million to work with. The reason why I wanted to go down that path a little bit further Sanford and Dunn are guys that I could see being moved in the offseason. Yeah. Those are guys that as we continue moving forward here, as you get into next year will be year four of this five-year window that Doug Armstrong has talked so much about. This is where you're going to start seeing a little bit of the cycling of some of these faces that we've come to know and really appreciate here in St. Louis. And this is just the life cycle of a franchise. A guy like Vince Dunn, you get his best years, you get his cheap years, and then you trade him for somebody that is a younger version of Vince Dunn that can come through your pipeline and hopefully give you similar ability or 80% of Vince Dunn for 20% of the cost of what he's going right. to be. Right. Same thing for Zach Sanford. You appreciate what he gave you while he was here and you try to find somebody else that can give you something similar to what he did while he was here for less uh, in terms of the cost that he's going to be. Mm -hmm. The pipeline has to keep flowing. Barbashev, Kairou, Walker, Joshua, Mikola, Thomas, those are all really young guys that have come in and given huge contributions to the Blues. When you start having these players that were cheap in the Stanley Cup run that are now going to start costing you a lot more money moving forward, Schwartz is one of those guys. Pareko is going to be another guy that's going to get expensive here pretty soon. Bennington was much cheaper during that run than he's going to be moving forward. That's when you've got to replace those guys, not necessarily at the same position, but on the roster with other cheap, impactful players on the roster. And that's something that I trust Army to do, but it's going to become even more important in the years to come. Well, And looking at the depth to BK, because that's where I was really interested in this of what they do moving forward. Now, look, if you lose Vince Dunn or you move on from Vince Dunn, that's not an easy replacement. But you do have guys in the system that are Scott Perunovich, Jake Wallman, who can be a part of this, this roster. And then you got guys like Mitch Rinke, Tyler Tucker, some of these minor league guys. Now, I'm not saying they'll be ready. But your sixth defenseman without Vince Dunn would be Krug, Falk, Scandella, Pareko, Mikola, and Bortuzzo. We're all comfortable there. If you lock up Thomas and Kairou and Barbashev, here's what your forward situation looks like, BK. 
You got O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Schwartz, Shen, Kairou, Blay, Thomas, Sunquist, Perron, Clifford, Barbashev, McEachern, with a Klim Kostin and an Alex Torpchenko. So you have depth there, but then it comes down to how they perform. Because the reason you went out and got Mike Hoffman this offseason was, one, to help your power play, but two, because you weren't too sure about Zach Sanford and Sammy Blay being a top six forward. They either need to be ready or you put yourself in a situation saying we can't lose a Perron or Schwartz because these guys are too valuable to us. If somebody steps up, then you can move forward and say, okay, we'll replace one of these top six guys with a minor league player because we're confident in their ability to help this team. That's how franchises continue their success. It's when they have to re-sign players to big-time extensions because their depth isn't ready to go. And that's what the Blues have to find a way to do. They can't force themselves into a situation. If they're going to re-sign Jaden Schwartz, it's got to be because they just really want him back. It can't be because, oh, we have no other option. Once you get into that level of desperation, that's when you start making bad decisions as an organization. And it's something that Doug Armstrong, frankly, has never allowed himself to do. He's never been in a situation where he is so desperate for something that he makes an awful decision that sets the blues back. He doesn't operate that way. He doesn't operate with desperation. So I don't think that's going to be an issue for him. But for a lot of other teams, you look at the Buffalo Sabres over the years or the Colorado Rockies when they just made a desperate trade because they needed to get off of the money. That's how you get into problems. That's how you run into issues as an organization. And it's a full credit to Doug Armstrong. It's not the way he operates. He's never had that issue. And it's not something I think he's going to have as an issue moving forward. It's 12-15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2021 with number six on our list. This might be one of the biggest swing players on the roster for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2021. Tell you who he is coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And now the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Yeah, there's a 40 man roster, but we sort of started late. It's BK and Ferrario. Number six, Tommy Edmond. There's Tommy Edmond. And Edmund hits it out to right center. It's at the wall. Gone! Tommy Edmund. Grand Slamma. We are up to number six on our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. And you heard that right. It is Tommy Edmund. I think he's one of the biggest swing players on this team, Alex. He could be the answer for them for their leadoff questions. He could be the answer for them at second base. He could be the answer for them when it comes to having a switch hitting presence in that lineup, especially as a guy that can bat left-handed because 70% of the pitchers that they face are coming from the right side of things. They need him to be the guy that he was in 2019 to be an offensive producer, to set the table, to get going on the bases as well. Get some of that action on the bases in front of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. I think Tommy Edmond is behind those two guys that I just mentioned. And there's a couple others that we'll talk about in the next few days. One of the most important players on this team without question to me. Yeah, He's the fourth most important offensive player this entire season for me, right behind Goldschmidt, Arenado and Paul DeYoung. And I know a lot of people would put Dylan Carlson in that mix, but I put Tommy Edmond there because of what you just said. Tommy Edmond's a leadoff hitter for this team. He has to be a leadoff hitter for this team. 
And I don't want the Matt Carpenter leadoff guy where, look, if he's hitting 40 bombs, I'm okay with. I want the guy who's getting on base at a consistent basis. Tommy Edmond is going to be the run producer. Tommy Edmond, if can if he becomes a above average on base percentage player as a leadoff player, that puts the Cardinals in position to have early runs, which gives their pitchers an opportunity to lock things down. But if Tommy Edmond's not getting on base, then once again, Paul Goldschmidt and now Nolan Arenado have to provide all of the offense, especially if these guys are your two, three hitters like Mike Schilt has been doing. If Tommy Edmonds hitting, this off this offense is going to be much better than what it was last season. And again, it all comes down to this guy at the top of the batting order for this Cardinals. He starts this offense, in my opinion. I'm with you, Alex. And I think you made a great point there. If they are going to hit Goldie 2 and Arenado 3, I think his importance becomes even more because he has to be on base. He doesn't get the luxury of having someone behind them that might get him to second or third to set them up with Goldie and Arenado coming up. If Goldie and Arnado are ahead of him, he has to become an on-base machine. He has to become a doubles machine, in my opinion. That way it becomes easier for Goldie and Arnado to drive him in, and then it boosts Goldie and Arnado's numbers, and it boosts the offensive numbers as a whole team. So one thing pitchers were doing against him last year a lot is they were pitching him down and away. And this is something that we have seen from a lot of the Cardinals' young hitters. You've seen it from Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, etc., And he didn't respond to it a lot of the time. And he struggled at times offensively last year in a way that we didn't see at all in his first season up with the big league. And this is why I think it's such an important year for Tommy Edmond offensively. Year one, 850 OPS. Every one of us would sign up for something similar to that in year three for him. Year two, 685 OPS. Very much a below league average hitter for Tommy Edmond last season got to be closer to year one than year two if you can have him be a slightly above league average hitter with the speed that he brings on the bases the defense that he gives you at second base and I do think he's going to be pretty good although not quite Colton Wong level of defense at second that is a guy that is hugely important to what the Cardinals are trying to accomplish offensively now my big question is what's his future going to be here in St. Louis I think this year goes a long way towards that as well Is he your second baseman? Just write him in stone as your leadoff hitter, second baseman. You're basically one-to-one replacement for Colton Wong. Or is he a future Ben Zobris type where he'll fill in one day at second. He'll fill one day at third, one day at short. He'll play in the outfield in the corner one day, and then he'll do that rotation once again. I think this year is going to go a long way in deciding what his future holds here in St. Louis. I think he has to be your future second baseman rather than your future Ben Zobris because if he's not your future second baseman, I don't unless Nolan Gorman is that guy, and we've talked about him potentially being in that spot. He's also got the opportunity to be an outfielder for you. But if he's not your your permanent second baseman, then you might have to go out there and find somebody to be your permanent second baseman, which in my opinion is going to limit the Cardinals from having the opportunity to spend money elsewhere. They're going to probably have to spend money at the rotation going into next season, depending on what Michaelis' future along with Reyes' future. And you might be spending money in the outfield as well, depending on Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas and, and Harrison Bader. I don't want the Cardinals to have to spend money at second base. If Tommy Edmond can be if Tommy Edmond can be an above average hitter, your leadoff guy, and also be a gold glove caliber defenseman, which I think he can at second base then that gives the Cardinals the option of having a cheap player there 
to go spend money elsewhere to make this team that much closer to the Dodgers and Padres. See, I view him as a future utility, Ben Zobris, because I think Gorman's future is at second base. Now, he could be a guy that goes and becomes your starting left fielder, but I don't think you want him as a corner outfielder. I think you'd rather, if O'Neill, Thomas, and Williams don't pan out, I think you would hit free agency or make a trade to get your future left fielder. But then then the question becomes, well, then who's the leadoff guy in the lineup? Then I think it kind of projects to Carlson. Do you see Dylan Carlson as being a leadoff hitter for this Cardinals team? No, because, I see him as a, as no. a two-hole hitter. Okay, He's a two-hole so hitter for me. then the leadoff spot's going to have to be figured out. And if Tommy, Tommy Edmonds, Edmund. that's the thing, too. That's the thing that I think can make him the everyday second baseman if he hits this year. Because otherwise you don't have a leadoff. You don't have a true leadoff hitter because Carpenter's not that and he's not in the future plans. Carlson, as we just said, I think we all agree, projects as a two-hole hitter. Goldyard not only in the middle, there's no one else. Bader maybe against lefties. Maybe he can pick it up against righties. But yep. you need someone to lead off against righties. Tommy Edmonds, that guy. So even though I still see him as a utility, Ben Zobers going forward, because I think the Cardinals could add a leadoff hitter in the offseason, maybe in left, <laughs> I look at it as... Tommy Edmond right now is the plan at second base. I think so too. Uh, the other thing for him, he's so cheap, guys. Like team building wise, you look at what he brings to the table. He's five hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars this season. Yeah, it's going to be something pretty similar again next year. Then in twenty twenty-three, he finally gets to year one of arbitration, where he's going to cost them like a million dollars. We always talk about how the Cardinals come to spring training, and it's like it's a rite of passage, right? They announce right away the next guy that's going to get that contract that buys out the arbitration years. If Tommy Edmond has a really good season this year, he's the next one up probably. He's a guy that I could see them saying day one of spring training next year, we've signed Tommy Edmond to a six-year $30 million deal, something like that, where it's really cheap and it's cost-controlled, something that they did with Paul DeYoung, for instance, and they just they have their infield locked up. And it's Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and Paul DeYoung and Tommy Edmond. That's what you're going to see on the infield moving forward. But it all starts with him being able to make good on their bet on him this year. They are placing a huge bet on Tommy Edmond being a quality hitter for them this season. When they got rid of Colton Wong and they declined that $12 million option and then did not match what the Milwaukee Brewers were willing to give him, that was as much a statement in favor of Tommy Edmond as it was against Colton Wong. They need to be right. He needs to prove them right this year because this is a team that is trying to compete right now. You don't make that Nolan Arenado trade if you're not or bring back uh, Yadier Molina or Adam Wainwright. These are all win-now moves. Tommy Edmonds got to be ready to win right now. Comes back to the talent evaluation, doesn't it, BK? Yep. Where you have to be able to, to strike gold with a guy that you have future prospects for, and that comes down to Tommy Edmond right now, and I think that is going to be the biggest kind of spotlight this season for the Cardinals fan base is watching what Tommy Edmond does, and every time, mark it down, every time Colton Wong has a good game, everyone's going to say, well, Colton Wong's having success. Why isn't Tommy Edmond? That's a lot of pressure to put on him, but I think he can come through with it. With... Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, David Pinata is the editor in chief of the fourth period. He's going to join us coming up next because he was the first to report on the Jordan Bennington news. We'll ask him about the news, what he thought about the contract, and he's also reporting that the Blues are interested in starting contract negotiations with Jaden Schwartz as well. We'll talk to him about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. As I was looking on Twitter last night, I got done with my run, got home, got over on Twitter, checked to see if I missed any news, and I'll be damned if I didn't see the name David Panyota pop up on my Twitter feed because he was the first to report that the Blues had agreed to a six-year, $36 million deal with uh, goalie Jordan Bennington. David Pagnota joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. He's the editor-in-chief for the fourth period. David, thanks so much for the time, man. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Not as good as, as Benner and, and the Blues right now, but but I'm doing all right. I would imagine Bennington's feeling pretty darn good <laughs> after signing a, a contract that says I'm guaranteed $36 million. What was your initial reaction whenever you officially heard the news? Yeah, it was, uh, I, you know, certainly you're always when a player, you know, locks into a deal like this, you're always happy for the player, certainly the team as well. Uh, you know, keeping the marriage alive, keeping it going for the next six years. He's got no trade protection as part of his deal as well. And uh, look, a, a good move, a smart move. They solidify their goaltending position. Uh, Bennington solidifies his spot as the number one in St. Louis. And now they can focus on the run going down the stretch and, and into the postseason. So they, this was dealt with in pretty short order. Uh, they, they got to, uh, to terms on the deal about an hour or so before news broke of, of the agreement. Uh, so it came together relatively quickly, and, and uh, both sides obviously very happy about making this happen. David, how big of a deal is this for Doug Armstrong in terms of the outlook of this franchise when it comes to salary cap? Because uh, getting Jordan Bennington, in my opinion, for $6 million per year is a steal when it comes to managing the cap and getting Jaden Schwartz locked up along with Colton Pareko and a couple of others moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, this is uh, this is a goaltender that, that has earned his position with the club and, quite frankly, has earned his position in the National Hockey League. Uh, with the way that the Blues have been performing, again, you can you can you move forward without having to worry about one of your most important pieces on this club. It also shows how much this team and the organization, how much faith they have in their goaltender. And again, moving forward, and, and Bennington discussed this in his in his press availability yesterday. He sets goals for himself on a running basis. Like it's not just one ultimate goal. He sets them so that he can continue to hit and achieve those marks as the season progresses, as the year progresses, and, and so on and so forth. So they can focus on now, like I said, you know, moving forward, not having to worry about such an important position because they've got him tied up. And then, yeah, re- you kind of shift focus if you're looking at a contract side of things to some of their other guys. They've had some preliminary talks already with Jaden Schwartz's camp about getting a deal done. I still think it's really early in that process, uh, but they're getting the ball rolling. And, and as much as they're trying to get their business done now they're obviously thinking about the future, and with the trade deadline a little over four weeks away, that'll also come into play in their, uh, or at least Doug Armstrong's planning. I'm glad you brought up Jaden Schwartz. That's where I wanted to get to next because it feels like there's kind of a pecking order here. The first thing they needed to get done was Jordan Bennington, and now they can move on to the Jaden Schwartz side of things. I, I don't know if this is something that they'll want to do in season or after the season, but what's your thoughts on that and what do you think the, the the salary, the AAV, would look like for somebody like Jaden Schwartz? Are we talking six and a half ish million dollars, similar to what Braden Shin got? You're probably in that neighborhood with with what he's done. Now, obviously, you know he's dealt with uh, you know some 
some some injuries this season to to this point. But looking at his numbers and what he's capable of, especially last season, you know, almost a sixty point season was on pace for more than that before things had to get shut down. Um, you know, twenty two goals on the season. He's hit the twenty plus mark four times in his career. You're probably looking at something around the six six and a half million dollar range, depending again on 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 what they're looking at. Now, as I mentioned, they've had those preliminary talks, so I think there's a good understanding of at least where both sides stand. But I think you're right. I think this might be something that could be tabled at the very least until after the trade deadline uh, before getting to, to postseason, especially down the stretch. It gets a little tricky with contract talks. And that's one of the reasons why Bennington and the Blues were able to get this done so so quickly is to not have to worry about a contract situation when you're trying to fight for playoff positioning and, and, and obviously trying to compete for a Stanley Cup again. So I think in Schwartz's case, They've got a good idea where both sides stand. And if they don't come to terms on something, it's not the end of the world. Both sides are comfortable waiting until, I guess, the time is right to get something going. David, you've mentioned the trade deadline a couple of times. I'm curious your thoughts because this is such an intriguing deadline, in my opinion, because I'm not sure if teams are going to be willing to trade to try and upgrade their team because those players have to go through a quarantine period. But when you look at a team like the Blues, who are already dealing with cap issues, do you see Doug Armstrong trying to be active because of all of these injuries? Or do you think this team could just stand pat with some of the players when they get them back and the cliche saying it's like a trade when you get these guys off of the injured list? Right, exactly. I, look, I, I see this team being uh, in the exploratory phase. So if the right opportunity arises, if the prices perhaps drop closer to the deadline, there's a lot of talk going on right now among teams because everybody's in the feeling out process who's available, who could be available, what are the price tags, and once you have that understanding, okay, well, maybe I can wait a little and see if things drop, and if not, well, I know I've got guys that are going to eventually come back to kind of you know, fill any void that I may have, but I think more so than anything, this could be just trying to bring in quality depth to a team that, again, is trying to, to get back into, into that Stanley Cup mode and, and get another banner there. So I, I could certainly see Doug Armstrong looking to make some some quality depth moves. They certainly have the, the, the pieces up front. They've got the pieces uh, on the back end as well. But if you can bring in a veteran presence to either solidify your third or fourth unit uh, up front, I wouldn't be surprised if they look to do that. We're talking to David Pinota here on 101 ESPN. He's the editor-in-chief of The Fourth Period. You can follow him on Twitter at The Fourth Period, spelled out F-O-U-R-T-H, period. David, one thing that I did want to ask you about the Blues, and we've been talking about this so much, is the backdrop to all of this, which is the upcoming expansion draft. How much do you think that's going to play into some of these negotiations that the Blues are having, whether it be with Jaden Schwartz or even the restricted free agents like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo? How much does that expansion draft play into some of the decisions that teams are making right now? Well, it absolutely does. It, it certainly plays a factor. But because we had you know, an expansion draft a few years ago with Vegas, there's, there's a pretty good idea as to how things are going to flow uh, between now and, and July when they have the expansion draft and what kind of conversations you can start having with Ron Francis, the GM in Seattle, uh, to see what type of moves may be available, who you, know, you might be able to, to protect or not protect or, or you know, kind of go from there. So it certainly plays a factor in their discussions. And you know, for free agents, it's an interesting one, especially the UFAs, because Seattle will have an opportunity to talk to whoever – they want any pending free agent they, they like. They've got a bit of a window before the expansion draft to get an idea. If we select you, we know there's a legitimate shot at, at signing you. And that's part of that, the process from their side of things. 
So that's why I think a guy like Schwartz, you know, for St. For Louis, they're willing to wait things out a little bit if they need to, to kind of, you know, get past the expansion draft before solidifying something in with, with a player. But when you're making trades, especially around the trade deadline, if you're a team like St. Louis, that's primarily in the market for, you know, depth, but, but, uh, you know, expiring contracts. I don't think that sense in that sense, there's, there's that much of a concern in the back of Armstrong's mind, because again, you, you bring somebody in on an expiring deal, you know, that there's, it's not going to necessarily affect the way that you create your protection list before the expansion draft. Last question that I had for you, David, are there any players out there that you find to be intriguing that could be uh, of note for the blues at the deadline? Is there anybody that you're keeping an eye on that you're like, Hey, that could be an interesting fit with St. Louis. Yeah. There's cost effective ones, certainly because of their cap situation. Um, but if you're looking at depth for, for one of the bottom lines, you know, whether it's the, the third line or the fourth line, I could see them looking from a versatility perspective, a guy that can either play center or, or, or one of the wing spots where you've got that option. And I look at Nashville, they've got a couple players there that could certainly help, whether it's Mikhail Granlin, his money's a little bit higher. But Eric Howell is another one that is a strong two-way. He can put the puck in the net. He proved that when he was in Vegas, just needs to be given that opportunity um, if they need to, but sound in his own zone as well and not a big cap hit by any stretch. So I, I think those kind of players would be guys that they would certainly look at more cost-effective type type of assets that they can use and 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 solidify their their depth positioning moving forward. And and if they want to add somebody with a little extra offensive flair, you could look to a guy like Tanner Pearson out of Vancouver, uh, who could probably come in from a third line side of things if they really wanted to solidify the left side in their bottom six. Hey David, my final one for you. We got a matchup tonight between the Blues and the Golden Knights. Kind of a juggernaut matchup in this Honda West division. We talked a little bit about the Blues. What's been your overall takeaway from this team? Do they still strike you as a cup contender, even with all of these injuries? Yeah, and I think that's the biggest takeaway is the fact that they're still in a position to battle uh, with so many guys that are in and out of the lineup, and and it's affecting the way that you know you ultimately perform but right now you know second in the division behind Vegas this is this has been an impressive performance for the most part for me anyway in in what I'm seeing from from this blue squad you're seeing guys that are able to produce offensively you know Kyrou is now starting to really emerge as as a stud in in the NHL and it's it's only going to go up from there so you're seeing you know those types of players whether you've got veterans like the captain in O'Reilly or you've got the young kid in in Kyrou stepping up this is a good balance that they've got in front of them. And, of course, with Tarasenko, he's 29. He's got a couple more years left on his deal. The window is certainly open for a good stretch. And, again, the fact that they're performing at this level with the amount of you know, guys that have been bounced in and out of the lineup because of injury, it, it, it only gets better from there, especially when you've got a, a full, healthy unit coming down the stretch. So this is it's going to be a big game because this is going to be another ceiling out period between these two clubs. But I like what I've been seeing from St. Louis to this point. He's David Paniota. You can check out his work over on the fourth period.com. That's where he is the editor in chief. Also give him a follow on Twitter at the fourth period. David, really fantastic stuff, man. Congrats on the scoop last night. Really good work on that. Uh, we'll talk with you again soon. 
Sounds good. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Absolutely. That is David Pagnota joining us here on 101 ESPN. He was the first that I saw with the news that Jordan Bennington had officially come to terms with the St. Louis Blues. Any of those players that he mentioned as potential targets for the Blues stand out to you, Alex? Yeah, you know, Eric Holla was one that we talked about when it was Rivs and BK a couple of months ago before the season began. But I tell you what, BK, I love the Tanner Pearson name that he dropped. This is a former first-round draft pick. Uh, This is a guy who played with Kyle Clifford in L.A., when they won Stanley Cups. This is also a guy who posted 45 points in 69 games last season with the Vancouver Canucks, eight points in 17 postseason games. Hasn't been as great this season. He's got nine points in 30 games, but he's a winger who can compete for a top six spot if you need that, but he is a depth player. That would be one that I would be extremely interested in. And the Vancouver Canucks are a team that's kind of on the cusp of being in or out of the postseason. So Yeah, disappointing love, season for them. Yes, definitely. And that comes to the offseason that they had of not bringing back Jacob Markstrom and uh, Christopher Tanev. But, uh, again, keep an eye on Tanner Pearson. I think David nailed that one on the head because he would be an interesting grab that is very familiar with Kyle Clifford and, of course, very familiar with the Blues. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We're going to dive into the junk drawer, including some of Alex Ferrario's uh, adventures with his newborn <laughs> baby coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to th- dive into the junk drawer to talk about something that I know nothing about. Parenthood. Uh, me neither. So Alex, <laughs> uh, how's it going, big guy? Woof, buddy. Woof. Now, look, I, what I'm about to say, I'm sure everybody listening who is a parent is like, oh, you're a newbie. Welcome to the rookie club, Ferrario. <laughs> but man, am I uh, am I bad at this thing? Like, it, you, you would think like an eight-day-old baby would be simple but I, I man, wouldn't think that actually. No, that's uh, well, that's not what I would think at all. <laughs> everyone always tells me, oh, well, new babies, all they do is sleep, poop, and eat. And I'm like, yeah, they do, but you got to figure out how to handle all of that. First of all, I am terrible at diapers. Like, I thought I'd be a pro at you it. You told us I, yesterday yeah, say, that like, you had it. You had the ago, swaddling you said you're great and the diapering. And- well, I was until uh, until I've had my two uh, two incidents where basically I'm trying to change the diaper and in the middle of swapping <laughs> the diaper out, my baby just decides to pee all over the changing table. I'm not getting the diaper under there fast enough. And you'd think I'd be awesome at it because I have three nieces and a nephew. But no, I'm terrible at that. And then on top of it, I have not found the ingredients to like master this sleep schedule. So basically we're up every three hours to feed her. So when we go to bed at night, like we go to bed about like nine o'clock, wake up at 12, wake up at two, wake up at five, wake up at eight. She's got to feed. BK, no joke, I was feeding her last night at about 8 o'clock. And as I'm feeding her, I finish. I'm kind of cleaning up after myself. I sit down. No, not myself, herself. Cleaning up. Don't look at me like that. You finished and cleaned up after yourself. I get it. After I finished and cleaned up after my baby who was feeding, I fell asleep. And I fell asleep on that chair for three hours. And when I woke up, I'm like, oh, my God, I just missed a feeding. Exhaustion is not even a joke anymore. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how to sleep right now. How I'm much forgetting. sleep would you say you're running on, like, over the last week or so? 
Well, my wife has been a pro. Like, she's waking up and she's getting up, but she's probably running on, like, three hours of sleep a day. I'd say I'm running on, like, four hours of sleep a day right now. Because the problem is you wake up and you feed them, and that takes about 30 minutes. Then sure. you got to change the diaper, change the clothes, make sure she's good. It's about an hour. So then you go to sleep, and then you're waking up in two hours. <laughs> but I don't go to sleep right away. So it's like I'm getting maybe, like, an hour sleep increments and waking up in just pure exhaustion. So 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. I know. We have some people that are sending in um, some recommendations, some tips for you, Alex. Oh, okay. <laughs> You've got to put the new diaper under for, under her before you pull the wet one out first. So you put the new one underneath the wet one, and then you just do the switcheroo. Yeah, but wouldn't you get some of the pee or poop on the old diaper on the new diaper? No, because you're putting it underneath it. So you've got you you got the diaper and then you put the new one underneath. So you're like put putting it between the diaper and the changing table. Okay. Underneath, so it's the backside of the diaper that would be touching it, not the not the part that's touching her skin. Does that make sense? So you yeah, peeled that makes it sense, down. Huh? So and it's you're like Indiana it Jones. It's like huh? Indiana Jones. It's Indiana Jones. You do the old switcheroo, right? Yes. The Temple of Doom style. You just woo. Okay. I got that. That's good. Somebody just texted and said there, there's something called wee wee blockers. What? Open the diaper, give it 20 seconds, wait for the pee, then change. Oh, maybe that's a maybe that's like a, a method. Huh. Never heard of that before. Interesting. Somebody else of, says that you guys need to rotate shifts. And that's what we're trying to do. The problem with it right now is my wife, she's still trying to breastfeed, but the baby with the cleft palate, I don't want to go into that because we talked about it already. Yeah. She can't, she can't breastfeed, so my wife has to pump. So she's waking up and pumping every three hours. So... She, that what should be shifts, she's trying to get ahead. So right now she's pumping while I'm feeding, and then both of us are awake. So it it's rough right now, but we're going to get it. Like, we're starting to get into the method of this thing to where, like, we're getting into shifts, whatnot. But, boy, right now, uh, it's, it's navigating through the exhaustion period. And, like, I don't even know what day it is anymore, BK. Like, you... You were in. You and your fiance Kara were incredible. You offered to, to bring us food or deliver us food so that we didn't have to cook dinner this week. And I had texted you. What was it? Yesterday or two days this ago? This was like Monday, and you were like, yeah. "Hey, Thursday would be great." And I, I told you, I said, "Okay, great. Just let us know what you want, what your order is, and we'll, we'll make sure that we've got it done for you." Uh, so first of all, I forgot yesterday. So that's first of all a bad on me. Second of all, you I think thought it was like. Could have been any day. Could have been oh, Sunday yeah. for all you knew at that point. Little, yeah, literally when I texted you, I probably thought it was Saturday. And you just told me today, you're like, oh, I was supposed to send you food last night. Like, nope, I thought it was Tuesday today. So I don't know what day it is anymore. I'm falling asleep on the couch without even realizing I am. But it is all with love because I tell you what, man, again, as exhausted as my wife and I are, it's so much fun right now because every little thing that this little baby does, whether it's a little smile or a little noise, we lose our mind over. Yeah, so 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. We've got conflicting messages for you, Alex. Okay. One says, Alex, I hate to tell you, but you have a long time until oh, yeah. you get a good night's sleep. Once you oh, start yeah. getting a good sleep schedule, they will start teething and the process starts all over again. Another one, however, a little bit of positivity in your life says they're five months ahead of you with their first child and that it does eventually get better. So, okay, awesome. I've had a lot more of those comments than I have the, oh, it's going to be a long time before you sleep. Our guy, Anthony Stelter on the fast lane, who's got two kids, so way ahead of me in experience, told me that at about three, four months, 
he said that both of his children were sleeping through the night. So we're getting there. Of course, it's the early stages of this. But again, it's like you just kind of you battle through the punches. Now, I have not done pre and post game yet. Oh, Luckily, God, tonight dude. is seven o'clock. But those next weeks where it's nine o'clock, I just think I'm just going to go straight through. It's like a 24 hour hold of Ferrario being awake. I don't know how you're going to do it. Doing this is exhausting. As somebody who has done it myself now, holy cow. Doing that on top of having a baby, a newborn, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. That's oh, yeah. wild, man. You are, your wife is a real superhero. Oh, You're she's masquerading a as a superhero in the meantime, though. Uh, yeah, she, she's straight superwoman. I'm just Clark Kent right now thinking I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you're, you've got the glasses on. You're, you're, pretend, oh, yeah. you're, you're in full disguise right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, from the 314, BK, this is harder than changing a tire. Don't try to explain it's Alex Ferrario. Good point. Good He's point. not wrong. I'll stay in my lane. He's not wrong. And my lane certainly does not include changing tires. Let me clarify again, though, because I know people are going to be like, oh, all he does is complaining. I am so happy to be a girl dad. I'm so happy to be a dad. I will take all of these long nights and exhaustion because of having a baby. It's just navigating through this because I have never been an early morning person in my life. Somebody says you could help Alex out next week and do the post-game broadcast for him. No, we'll get him dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, BK's done with that. I'll, uh... I'll get him dinner for the next week. Uh, we'll do. We'll do that. I, I enjoyed the hell out of doing it. It was a blast. I had so much fun, and it was something that I never thought I would get the opportunity to do. Frankly, uh, it was great. My voice really could use a week off. <laughs> yes, I think it could. I could really use a week of just not not having the multiple shifts. I'm okay. Good. So next week you'll be back in on it. I got it exactly with Alex Ferrario. A girl dad and Tanner Hendrickson, not a dad. I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, so Jordan Bennington is very clearly at this point a core group player for the Blues. He's one of their pillars. Who else would be on that list for us? We'll tell you coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. There's also a huge commitment uh, that he and I talked about uh, about you know an hour and a half ago when we finalized the deal about you know the number of players in his age group, whether it's a crew, gonna Falk, and a Shen, you know that have signed long-term deals. Thomas and Cairo look like good young players. Tarasenko and, and O'Reilly don't have the same amount of term, but it's 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 a team that that I think he can you know, try and rub the crystal ball and say, this team has a chance to be competitive to determine this deal. And there's enough guys there that if we can keep the band together, we we have a chance to stay competitive. And, and this is a big step in keeping the band together. I like looking at teams through windows, right? Every team has a specific window that they're working in right now. The Blues are in their championship window right now. Doug Armstrong has acknowledged it publicly. He said when they when they made that deal for Ryan O'Reilly, that was a five-year window that they entered. And right now they're in year three of that five-year window. That window doesn't have to close, though. There are ways that you can keep these things open. The Cardinals, by the way, they're entering... I think next year, their championship window, it might be two or three years long, but they can extend that. There's ways that they can do that. The Blues are doing something similar right now. By signing Jordan Bennington to this six-year deal, they are now trying to see what does the transition look like to the next window. It might not be with the same players, but it can be something similar in terms of the amount of winning that they're doing. So I wanted to ask you, Alex, who are the pillars that they're building around? 
Jordan Bennington is clearly locked in as one of those now that he has been signed. I think Ryan O'Reilly is on that list. Braden Shin is very clearly on that list. Justin Falk, Tory Krug, based on their contracts, are a part of that list. Pareko, I think, will be a part of that. Who else do you think is a part of this, the pillars for the franchise right now, the guys that you think five years from now will still be a part of the club? I think Schwartz. Definitely. Now that we've we, we spoke to David uh, of the fourth period, mentioning Jaden's name, kind of the preliminary talks, he's going to be a part of this team moving forward. I truly believe that Tarasenko. And I know a lot of people are saying, why would you resign him or anything like that? He's still a pillar, and I think he's going to get back to the form that we expect from Vladimir Tarasenko. But other than that, they're building around those players. Nico Mikola could be a he could be a pillar for this team. I just don't know yet in terms of what the future looks like for this team. If they don't lose Oscar Sunquist, he could be a pillar. I don't know what David Perron's future looks like with St. Louis. So those are question marks right now. But when you look at the top six forward groups, Shen Schwartz, O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Thomas, and Kairou, that's your pillars right now. Defensively, the three guys that are going to be protected, Falk, Krug, and Pareko. And from there, you implement depth players and you try and continue to cycle through products through your minor league system. But when you have a core like that, that's a core that always will keep that window of opportunity open, much like we've seen from other teams because they're not handcuffed salary cap wise. The big question to me is Tarasenko. Because I, I think there's actually two questions. Because right now for this five-year window, no doubt about it, Ryan O'Reilly's a part of it. We'll get into that part of it here in just a minute, though. Uh, Tarasenko is interesting to me. You have three years left, including this year. So you have two more seasons after this, that he's under contract for seven and a half million dollars per year. You've now seen three separate surgeries on his shoulder. He looks like he's healthy. He's obviously a great player for the blues, but he's 29. And at the end of this deal, he's going to be going into his age 32 season. And you just don't know what that looks like for him. I don't know for sure that he's going to be a part of this team five years from now. I feel really confident that O'Reilly, Shin, Schwartz, Thomas, Kairou, they're all going to be a part of it. Same thing for Pareko, Krug, and Falcon Bennington. I think all of those nine players, I'm really confident they're going to be a part of this team five years from now. Do you feel that same amount of confidence about Tarasenko, despite the fact that he's not currently under contract? I do, because I don't think he's going to cost you $7.5 million when he's up for an extension. He's still going to be fairly young. I think by the end of his contract, he's going to be 31, 32 years old. Mm -hmm. Sounds old, but I mean, some hockey players can be scorers for you to 35, 36 years old. But because of those surgeries, I don't know if he's going to cost the Blues $7.5 million. If you can get a a premier goal scorer like Vladimir Tarasenko for another three years after this contract expires for five, five and a half million dollars. That's huge for this team because you don't know what Jordan Cairo looks like. He could be a top winger for you. Vladimir Tarasenko could be that, that David Perron for you down the road. So I don't know kind of if they will bring him back, but I do see him as a pillar of this team still because when healthy, there's nobody better on this team in terms of goal scoring opportunities and I don't think he's going to cost you $7.5 million, that next contract extension. I agree with you somewhat. I, I agree he won't be $7.5 million probably on his next contract, but if he doesn't get back to that elite scoring, which is going to be tough with the shoulder, yes, he looks healthy, but we don't know. If, uh, to me, the three sh- shoulder surgeries are huge for him because 
yes, he's recovered from all three, but I think we're going to see his body deteriorate sooner than a healthy player. And I think that goes into whether or not Vladdy's here in another five years. And to me, right now I look at him and I go, I'm kind of with BK. I just don't know because I don't know. Sure, he's coming back from this. We'll see if he returns to elite score. If he's an elite scorer still, then sure, I think he's back. But I don't know if he'll ever get back to being an elite scorer. And again, it's too early to judge that now. I don't want to like sound like I'm hitting the panic they've button. Got time. They've got two more years to be able yeah. to make that determination as well. And this is all, it's all dependent upon what he looks like in those two years for sure. But I, I think it will depend. Again, I don't know if we can judge much on this season. But next year, I think we'll have a better sense of if he's in the future five years from now. Look, I think the concern for Tarasenko comes if he's not able to complete this season like he was last year in the bubble, right? He came back, he played, and he wasn't able to compete. If he's able to finish out the season, I don't have any concerns over that shoulder. I don't have concerns that his body is going to deteriorate over the time because Tarasenko keeps himself in great shape. We saw that in that cup run. I mean, this was a guy who slimmed down, utilized his speed, played heavy still, and fought through injuries. A shoulder surgery, as bad as they are, and especially when they're multiple shoulder surgeries, you can come back from those. And I don't, I don't anticipate Tarasenko becoming less of a player than what he was before those shoulder surgeries. I don't know if he'll ever be back to that level, but he will always be an elite goal scorer, in my opinion. And I don't think you can lose a player like that, especially because you don't have another primary goal scorer on your roster. Ryan O'Reilly's an interesting one, too, and it's not because I don't think he should be back with the team. I do. I think he's a guy that you're building around, and this is nothing new that anybody that watches this team wouldn't say. But Ryan O'Reilly's deal is up at the same time as Vladimir Tarasenko. He's got the same amount of money remaining as Vladimir Tarasenko. He's a year older than Vladimir Tarasenko. He's also very likely going to want a contract structure similar to what Petrangelo was looking for. Now, I don't know. If that is something that he's going to hold out for, that he's almost going to say, I'm worth this. And so you need to give me this the same way that Petro was able to find another team that gave it to him. I don't know if that's the route that Ryan O'Reilly will go. I I just don't know. But it's possible because of the way that he got his last contract structured, which did have the signing bonuses and the no trade clause, the no movement clauses. Uh, that Petro was looking for, that he would be looking that route. That's the one. That's literally the only holdup that I would have with saying that Ryan O'Reilly will be here five years from now. But that's that's down the road. That is something that we don't have to worry about today. But that it, that would be the only question that I would have about saying adding him to this list as well. I'm not too concerned about that, BK. And look, I I don't know what went on when he signed that extension with Buffalo. Like I don't know if Ryan asked for that or if Buffalo gave that to him, or if he needed of, it because it's a bad organization and he needed more trust from the organization, right. right? And we all can see right now how dumb that organization is in terms of cap management and how they're giving money out to players. Ryan O'Reilly just being around him doesn't strike me as somebody who is going to say, you need to give me this, otherwise I'm not coming back. Ryan O'Reilly kind of strikes me as a Jordan Bennington type player. Not saying that Petro wasn't this, but Ryan O'Reilly seems like a guy that says, look, I want to be on a cup contending team. And for that, I'll make sure that we adjust accordingly. He's going to want to get money that he feels he deserves. But I also think Ryan O'Reilly knows what this organization's mentality is and those no movement clause and the bonus mar- or the, the guaranteed money. So I'm not as concerned about that as I would be for say we were with Alex Petrangelo. But again, that's all hypothetical right now. We don't know kind of what's going to go into that. Joey Vitale was on with the morning show earlier today. And I wanted to play this for you because he said something kind of similar to what you're talking about right now, Alex, it's, it's really important for a lot of these guys, Bennington included 
to be around the Blues culture, and that's part of what they're signing up for, even if it means taking a little less money. I think players are really starting to kind of recognize that, that yes, the money can be great other places, but you know what? Let's take a little bit of a shave. I'm not, I'm not making as much with Washington Capitals and Boston Bruins or the St. Louis Blues or the Vegas Golden Knights, but to me, making $500,000 less or a million dollars less here and there to be on a championship-caliber team where you can actually compete for a cup and show up to the rink every day and absolutely love what you do, I'm telling you, it actually is worth it, as crazy as that sounds. It's a great point, and it is something that we've been saying so often about the Blues over the last few years, especially, Alex. This is a team that has built a culture that players want to continue playing in. It's it's an organization that for really a long time now has built itself under the guise of this is a place where players want to play, where the fans will welcome you in with open arms, where you can do winning. You can win a title here. Now, we know that it has great history. Guys stay here after they're done playing for a reason. And so when you hear Joey say that, he's right. Guys like Jordan Bennington, he may have been able to get $7 million per year on the open market. He probably could have got that if he wanted to wait and get the most money possible. But he decided to take a little bit less, take six per guaranteed for six years, and to be able to sign up for contention, to be able to help what his legacy is going to be, not just here, but also in the realm of hockey as a whole moving forward. You don't think Braden Shen could have gotten more money than six and a half per year on the open market for how good he has been for the Blues? I mean, he's leads the category in every category for the Blues since he's been here. Players are recognizing, like Joey said, money's great, but championship windows are even better, and that helps my product moving forward. And that's why I think the core group of guys right now, Tory Krug signed Six and a half million dollars. He probably could have got more than that from other teams, but he signed with the Blues because he knows the culture. Justin Falk signs that extension. Marco Scandella signs that extension. These guys are very familiar with what the Blues are trying to accomplish and how good they've been over the years. So that's why these players that are already within the organization are able to get these extensions done because they know that, look, I might go a million dollars less than what the open market's going to offer, but I also know that I'm going to get the money, I'm going to be secure, and I'm going to have these championship windows stay open. And that comes to the culture that the Blues have built in that locker room. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 117, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, we're going to debut a new segment. Tanner's Terrible Takes. That's terrible. That's coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. to this show for any period of time you know that tanner has the voice of a young man an angel huh eh, it's like a mix between fergie and jesus has the uh has the takes of my grandfather's grandfather oh yeah the takes of a dude from the 1920s you would you would think that he's sitting here with a stogie in his mouth and a brim hat around his head and spilling beer all over himself but instead, that's not who he is at all. At all, he's a 22-year-old young man who not was even 22 recently introduced to the glory that is a fantastic cold beer on a warm summer day. Amen. So we decided it's time to utilize this to our advantage. If he's gonna have terrible takes every day, terrible, just terrible. That's terrible. Then we're gonna go ahead and play it into it. And yesterday, Alex, he sent us an article. 
about Major League Baseball's rule changes that they're implementing down in the minors. So some of these include, but are not limited to, basically eliminating the shift. Infielders have to have their both feet on the dirt. Expanded bags. The bases are going to go from 15 by 15 to 18 by 18. You're basically adding. It's shortening the gap between bases by about four and a half inches in total. You're restricting pickoffs. Pitchers can't step or uh, can only throw over to first twice before being issued a bulk. You got to step off the rubber before throwing to first. And, you know, there's the robot umpires as well. I saw this and I was like, you know, outside of the robot umps, sounds pretty good. You're adding a lot more action. Maybe increase the stolen bases. You get up the batting average by eliminating the shift. I I can combine all of these for the most part. You shorten the amount of time for games where the pitcher's not throwing 18 pitches over to first base when the guy's not even going to steal. Meanwhile. Oh, yeah. Our guy Tanner did not have that same takeaway. Just terrible. That's terrible. Yeah, no. Old man, get off my lawn. Exactly. What was your opinion of these uh, these rule changes, my friend? Pull out the suspenders before you start talking, T-Bone. <laughs> All right. I, I was going to make this little sound effect there. I, I can't even how. believe we're allowed to have this music bed in the background with hands yeah, on the no. board. Do we have, like, some old school, like, um, next, go-go dance next, music or something? <laughs> next time I'll be sure to get us some old school radio yeah, music. like 1920s music. Yeah. Uh, something so, like a waltz. Yeah, there we go. Give us a waltz music. So I don't mind the robot umpires, as long as we can perfect it. I don't mind getting rid of the where everybody has to step off, because lefties had an advantage, a pretty clear advantage on the mound. Step off! But we're going to ban the shift? Hit the ball the other way! <laughs> Oh, or no, Tanner, Tanner wants him to bunt down the line. Why don't you bunt the third base? It's wide open. Exactly. Come on, man. Like, hit the ball the other way. Matt Carpenter sees more pitches outside of the zone, not in, and he still tries to pull it. And then he tries to blame pitchers for him hitting into the shift. <laughs> what if Matt Carpenter can't bunt? Learn to bunt. <laughs> what do you mean I learned how to bunt? So what's the problem with the expanded bags? There's no way you can actually have an issue with that, right? Oh, yeah. Let's just make it easier for everybody to steal. Come on. It's the big leagues. Get a better jump. Time it better. Yachty can steal bases and they don't have to expand the bag for him. It's... You you have a problem with them trying to insert more action. You want them to not help these guys steal bags because we see like 20 stolen bases. They're not going to use it. I'm fine with increasing action. They're not going to do it. This isn't the 80s anymore. It's home run strikeout game. Strikeouts, or excuse me, not strikeouts. Um, stolen bases went up 80% when they introduced these rules into a specific league. Which 80%. league was that? I'd have to go back and look at it. But the one that they used them in last year. Fake Tanner, fake numbers. Tanner misses the old hit and run single ball right up the middle baseball. He, he, he hates. Yeah, he hates these these dumb doubles that they're getting in baseball right now. Give us the old singles. Homers are rally killers. Yeah. You know what's exciting, BK? When I go to a baseball game, nobody's on first base. The first batter up, he lays down a bunt to the third baseline and just jogs to first. That's exciting. But he's on base. And, and you're going to eliminate the shift on him then eventually. All right, but you, you don't have an issue with the pickoffs being restricted, oh, right? Oh, that one sucks. <laughs> the lefties now have to completely step off the rubber before throwing fine over with. to first. You can only throw to first twice. You want to continuously. You're telling me you go to the baseball game and you're like, you know what I want to see? 
I want to see Tommy Parsons throwing over to first base 12 times in a row before he throws one time to his catcher. That's, Tanner, that's what e- you want to see. Tanner, even my video game when I play Major League Baseball, the show boos after the pitcher throws over to first base for the third time. Yeah, but at least you're holding him on. Oh, come on. Like, if I throw twice and I don't get him, it's, oh, my God. He could literally walk to second base. He well, could walk. Listen, this is giving the Cardinals an advantage, though. Now, because you have a guy like Yadier Molina, when that guy's running to second, it's as if he's going up against that prospect from the Astros every single game, or it's a challenge for Yadier Molina. I want Yadi. I actually want the pitcher to throw over to first twice every time that he has a man on first to challenge Yadi or Molina to throw that guy out at second. Then he's literally going to walk halfway between second and first, and Yadi will not stand a chance. I know he's great, but that time he won't. Oh, I promise. You're doubting Yadi or Molina? Yes. Did you just doubt Yadi? Yes. No, no. Hold on. Before we turn this on me like this, I'm not doubting him if he gets has a lead and the pitcher's holding him. I'm doubting him if his pitcher has used his two pickoff attempts and then the guy can have his lead halfway between first and second. Then I'm, I'm doubting him. This, I'm sick of all this dang baseball that just keeps throwing over to first base. You suck. All right, but there's no way. There's no way Tanner is against the robot ups. I know Tanner's loving this idea. I mean, oh, you yeah. you insert less uncertainty into the game you make sure that every call is correct because the robot umps would never get anything wrong and all we ever do is complain about the balls and strikes i know tanner loves this idea right i'm okay with it what i'm okay with it i like a little human element i'm sorry (laughs) this is where you go young on us hold on you you like the robot umps a little bit yeah really i don't i i don't mind uh I wouldn't mind keeping normal umpires because I love a good human element. Like, you know what I miss? I know this is really going to sound old school. I miss the good old-fashioned manager, umpire, get in your face. We're not going to resolve anything, but I'm going to get ejected. Well, you can't do that anymore because of COVID. Well, I can put my mask on. (laughs) I'm legitimately stunned by this. There are very few things that Tanner says that, like, gets a visceral reaction out of me. I cannot believe that he is in on robot ups. I can't either. I, I, I mean, Tanner, like the everything you complain about for the game of baseball, but yet you're okay with somebody, a computer in the back of the stadium telling these hitters if it's a ball or a strike. Yeah, you know why? Because then I don't have to listen to them cry about the strike zone. Adjust! Adjust. You're going to cry even more about the strike zone because it's well, a robot that's telling. The, um, the umpire is a robot. He can't be wrong. You can't complain okay. to a robot. I, I've got it. Tanner. terrible. Tanner. What, what, what Tanner's actually saying is that it's not hard enough right now on hitters. <laughs> we need to make it harder on the hitters because what they're doing is just too easy. Seeing 103 miles per hour with a little bit of sync on it. That's already so easy to hit. Yeah. We need to make sure that we make it a little harder on them moving forward. Exactly. <laughs> you, nailed, you nailed it. Yikes. With Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was the introduction of Tanner's Terrible Takes. That's terrible. Just Coming terrible. up next, we got to play a game of one got to go. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. We'll get into the crossover coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. One got to go barbecue sauce edition. Oh, this was made for me. Memphis sweet, Texas hot, California. Take two. Carolina vinegar or Kansas City savory. Memphis, Texas, Carolina, or KC barbecue sauce. One's got to go, Alex Ferrario. Oh, I'm not getting rid of Memphis and Kansas City for sure. So it's down between Carolina and Texas. And I think just because, and this is going to make me sound like a wimp, I don't want to sit there and burn my mouth. Going to get rid of Texas hot. Don't like it, but I can't get rid of Carolina savory. So I'm going to get rid of Texas hot, but I'm not proud of it. Yeah, that that is kind of weak. Uh, I would oh, definitely come on, Mister Terrible one. Take. <laughs> I would get rid of the uh, Carolina one. Yeah, vinegar sauce is gross. Yeah, amen get to that. Get all the way out of your Carolina. You're saying that mustard. to an Italian. Oh, you don't get rid dude, of vinegar. Uh, the mustard-based Carolina sauce. Get that all the way out of here. Oh, I don't need God. it. My sauce for barbecue is red. It is red. I don't need your Carolina-based barbecue sauces in my life get it all the way up out of here it's it's an embarrassing take for both of you no it's embarrassing that you kept it around that's what's embarrassing amen to that aren't you from the midwest i thought i believed in you i thought i had a little bit of faith in you and you're from the midwest that's why i like emo's pizza i like emo's pizza and (laughs) okay bk over here thinks it's just disgusting so we're really gonna take that advice yeah, that's a fair point, too. I've had emos twice in the last okay. five days. So. I, I have it. Maybe you should change your thoughts, T-Bone. <laughs> it's the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. One got to go, grill edition, brats, burgers, corn on the cob, or potatoes. Brats, burgers, corn on the cob, or foil-made potatoes. Which Easy. one are you going with? What, what do you got, Tanner? Corn on the cob's got to go. I'm not getting rid of burgers. I'm not getting rid of brats and some good grilled potatoes. Come on. Corn on is the cob. Like- I can live without it. I can live without that healthy option in my life. Uh, corn on the cob on the grill is fantastic. Is this no. one's got to go or is this Tanner's terrible takes part two? <laughs> well, that's just that the was show. a terrible take. That was a terrible take. Baked pot- or the potato on the grill's got to go. What? Because you can yeah. do so many things with potato. You can do the mashed potatoes. You could put the baked potatoes in foil in your oven. You know what you can't do, T-Bone? You can't make corn on the cob on the grill anywhere else. So baked potato on the grill, it's got to go. Yeah, boiling the the um, corn on the cob just isn't the same. It, it's no. not. It doesn't give it Trash. the same effect. You got to go on the uh, on the corn on the cob, and then afterwards, don't you forget, we've got to cut the corn off of the cob onto the plate. That's the important part. You've got a secondary piece to this. You get the little bit of grill. You, you put it in the husks to start. You peel it back. Get a little bit of that little flash fry on there from the grill, a little bit of heat, and then you cut the cob off of the corn whenever you're getting ready to eat it. I know you agree with that, Alex Ferrario. No, don't, don't you look at me with- like that. Oh, yeah, no, I do agree with cutting the corn <laughs> off the cob. It's so much easier, especially when you don't have seven teeth like me. It's so much easier. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for one gotta go. One gotta go shaving edition. Tanner, you gotta sit this one out because you don't know how to do yeah, it man. or you have to do no, it. That's true. You don't have to grow facial hair. Shaving cream, a razor, an electric ch- uh, trimmer, or aftershave. Shaving cream, razor, electric trimmer, or the aftershave. Which one's gotta go, Alex? Uh, I'll go the shaving cream. 
because when I shave, I shave in the shower, and I can use soap, and it works just the same. Really? You're not get, yeah, you're not getting rid of the razor, obviously. You're not getting rid of the beard trimmer because that's how you can maintain some good style. And the aftershave is important if you don't want that post-shave bumps all over your face. So the pre-shave, the shaving cream, it's got to go because you just do it in the shower. Make life easier on yourself. <laughs> It's going to surprise nobody. Oh, here we go. I've never once used aftershave. Never oh, in my life have I used aftershave. <laughs> get out of here. It's such... I, I've i never done it. I, I've just... I've never... I, me, Tanner's probably used aftershave in his no. life more often than no, I have. Never so, have. So, so how do you live life then after you shave? I just... Like, doesn't that irritate your face? No. No, never. Never. Well, you know, I, I keep a little bit of the stubble going on, so I do the electric trim on my face. So it's you, just my it's neck a, that I go full full shave on. No, uh, well, that makes sense then. If you're not, I mean, nobody uses like shaving cream for their or aftershave on their neck. Like you just live with that. But, yeah. Mm, I, I'm sorry. You got to have the aftershave because otherwise, that is the most ir- that is more irritating than having a full beard like I had and finding food in it. You got to have the aftershave. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for one gotta go. One gotta go. Casino games, slots, poker, blackjack, or craps. Slots, poker, blackjack, or craps. One's gotta go. Casino I game edition. I don't think that first one is a casino game. Slots? Oh, slots. Oh, okay. Sorry. What do you think he said? Slots. Slots, poker, craps, and then what was the other one? Uh, Blackjack. Your game. Yeah, I'm not getting rid of Blackjack. Oh, yeah, yeah, not getting rid of Blackjack, not getting rid of poker. I'm going to get rid of slots. I'm not a big fan of the slot style of this, although it's the cheaper way to go. I rarely win on the slot machine. Cheaper way to go. People lose more money on slots than they do any of the other games in a casino. I, it's I mean, wild, cheaper man. Way, I mean, cheaper way to go, meaning you can bet five cents or a sure. penny and still come away with victories. No, look, that's the one that's got to go because all three of the other ones, that's excitement. That's where the big rollers go. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm getting rid of slots. Sweet. Maybe, it. maybe, it's, maybe it's like a little tinfoil, but I just don't trust the machine. I feel like it's rigged. Yeah, no, well, that's not a tinfoil. That's uh, old man syndrome. Well, I am. Like, I, I'm not interested in sitting there playing the slot machine all day. I'm good. And I would rather play minutes. a game that includes some sort of strategy. Like, I'm, I know that in general, like, your your odds are low that you're going to beat the dealer in blackjack, poker, or craps. The, the, the odds are that you're going to lose at everything that you do the moment that you walk into a casino. I get that. Mm-hmm. But the slots have the worst odds out of anything that you do once you walk into a casino. I'm good on that. I don't need that. I'd rather play any of the other uh, table games as opposed to sitting down and, and playing slots. And you only win like three bucks on a good time after you bet like 50. So it's just not worth it. Last thing here. One's got to go. Date night activity edition. Movies, steak dinner, Bowling or happy hour? Movie, steak dinner, bowling or a happy hour, date night activity edition. Alex, you are married now, but which date night are you going with? Bowling's got to go. I hate bowling. Everything about bowling is just terrible. And I'm sorry if there are bowlers out there that are listening and they're going to just obliterate me here, but I suck at bowling. That's why I don't like it. There's nothing more embarrassing than going Everybody on a date night. Everybody who says I hate bowling, the first thing terrible that you'll hear right after that is that I'm an awful bowler. It's <laughs> yeah. same thing with golf, right? I hate golf. golf. Why? Yeah. I'm terrible. I'm terrible there's, at golfing. There's nothing more embarrassing. By the way, and write I'm this down, T-Bone. 
<laughs> Write this down, T-Bone. When you go bowling on a date, don't embarrass yourself in front of the date. Because, I wouldn't because uh, I'm good bowling. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Bowling's got to go here, boys. It's simple, simple answer. What were all the other? We got steak dinner, movies, bowling. What's the fourth? Uh, happy hour. Happy hour. Happy hour. Well, that's got to stay. Um, <laughs> I, I'm. This is a terrible take. I'm going to oh, say uh, the steak dinner. Movies. Oh, uh, I'm not a big steak guy, so I would. Uh, I would get rid of that White one. Castle. <laughs> no, uh, I'll take her to an Italian place. There we go. So I think this depends. Gross. By the way, I am going to. Uh, to an Italian dinner tonight with my fiance. No, um, you got pregame tonight. Huh? You got pregame tonight. No, you just, you gave me. That's a good point. You gave me an anxiety attack. I was like, wait, what? Do I? Um, <laughs> It depends. Is this a first date or is this like I'm with my fiance now and we are going on a date? Because first dates, I think I'm out on the movies. There's just, there's two little encounters, right? It makes it more difficult for you to know for sure if you want to go on the second date or not. Because there's no talking during a movie. Um, so one's got to go for state edition movies. If it's me and my fiance now, one got to go. I would probably, funny enough, go with the steak dinner, actually. I, I, I think that I would prefer, like, we enjoy going bowling. It's a good time. You end up grabbing the few pitchers of beer, chill. Bowl. We're both terrible, but it's fine. We enjoy ourselves, Alex. We can have fun while we're doing something poorly. Nope. Happy hour is great. Going to a movie, fantastic. I'm excited to be able to do that once again in my life. So I'd probably go with the steak dinner as being the one that has got to go. Terrible take. Terrible take. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 101 ESPN and our sister stations down the hall are all competing in something we're calling the App Madness this March. We had to figure out, okay, how can we convince our listeners, our wonderful listeners, to download the app and to register this March? Well, here's what we did. We loaded it up with a bunch of sweet giveaways. You've got a chance to win $500 in cash, a Traeger grill, a replica Nolan Arenado jersey, so much more. It's all over on the 101 ESPN mobile app. Get it. Use it. Try to help us win this app madness competition, especially against 105.7 The Point. We can't lose to those guys. Come on. We, we got to no. beat those guys. So do it now. All you have to do, download the app in your app store, and then make sure you register. That way you can potentially win a $500 cash prize, a Traeger grill, a replica Nolan Arenado jersey. It's all over on the 101 ESPN app. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie, crossing things over with the fast lane. If you missed anything from today's show, you can check it all out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. Anthony Stalter in studio. What's good, man? Man, pretty good day outside. I know it's overcast a little bit, but it's good. I'm good. Not Jordan Bennington good, but I'm good. $36 million. That's not a bad way to wake up in the morning and be like, you know what? I'm going to make $6 million every year for the next six years. Right. It's not too shabby. Especially considering where he was just two years ago, three years ago. So question for you. I know you guys are going to get into the Bennington situation a lot throughout the show today. 
KU, it was just announced a little bit ago, is is done with the Big 12 tournament. They yeah. had a couple of positive tests pop up. They're the third team added to this list. Now, Duke was never going to get into the NCAA tournament, so not worried about that one. Right. Virginia, though, has opted out of the ACC tournament. They've got a positive. KU now, same thing. Those are both teams that would have made the NCAA tournament. We don't know if they're going to be eligible now. Do you think they should consider moving back the NCAA tournament two weeks to be able to quarantine these teams, get them right, make sure that everybody's good to go before you get there? Like, Is that even something that could be under consideration, or are we just... Hey, this is the rules that we signed up for. Yeah. This is this is the year that we're trying to play through, and it sucks that Virginia and KU might not be able to play in the tournament, but this is how it's going to be. Well, it all comes down to money, right? So would moving the tournament back save you money, make you more money, or lose you money? And I, I just don't, don't I don't, don't know what the answer is. loses you any money to to not have two teams. Sure. If it's like 12 teams that are ineligible and it's like Illinois is opting out right. and Gonzaga's out and now some Michigan. of your your best teams across the country with big fan bases are out, then maybe. But I don't think, as of today, with where we are right now, I don't think this loses you too much money. Then yet. they probably roll on, would be my answer. Kind of sucks, man. Because whenever there's like a, hey, this could appease the fans and or teams, go the other way. Because it's, it's all about the money, period. Somebody on the text line raises an interesting question. Do you think that this helps lose chances of making yes. the tournament? Yeah. Yes, absolutely, 100%. Because you're going you're gonna to have to have teams. I think today is the last day. Meet and I were talking about this. I think today is the last day where some of your backup options need to quarantine, be ready to go for next week. So they're going to have to make a decision fairly quickly here on what Virginia's status is and what Florida's status is. I'm sorry, not Florida. I was watching the Florida game. KU. KU, thank you. But yes, to, to answer that question, I think I think this is really good news for SLU, who unfortunately got bowed, you know, bounced out of the A-10 tournament, but was probably in was probably a bubble team regardless. If if those two teams or one of those teams can't make it, I don't know who else you would take besides those. Like Syracuse is probably getting in regardless. You know, some of those other teams that were on the bubble that were kind of your your blue blood schools, I think they 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 were probably going to get in ahead of SLU anyways. But now that these two teams might not be able to make the trip, yeah, I think SLU, SLU's got a good chance. So one thing that it, – it, I think this helps them for sure. I think it, like the selection committee, if these teams are ruled out completely, then it helps SLU for sure. One thing that if I'm a SLU fan, I would almost want is like, okay, we don't quite make the cut for these two spots. And obviously I'm not rooting for this to happen, but it's a reality of what could happen next week on like Tuesday. There's a team that there's a positive test that pops up and they're ruled out. And it's like a two seed. If I'm not mistaken, from what I understand how the rules are in place right now, SLU would take over if they're the next team up for that slot. So they would be slotted in as a two seed. In the NCAA tournament, if this happens after the selection committee has already made the bracket and everything's in place, they would just slide into that spot, go to Indy, and they'd be ready to go as long as they are tested and everything's ready to go. But that that's what I like. Best case scenario. That's how it happens for SLU. But I think if you're a SLU fan and you get in, you got to be happy at this point, regardless of what it is. Absolutely. That's Anthony Stalter. Looking forward to a ton of Jordan Bennington breakdown. I know you've got an interview to come up. Yeah, we got Liu coming up. 
That's coming agent. up at the top of the hour, coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Tension runners, you can join Michelle Smallman in participating in the Michelob Ultra Seltzer Virtual 5K this March. $25 sign up. Proceeds all benefit the pedal, the cause. Check that out over at 101ESPN.com. We'll be back on Monday at 11. The Fast Lane coming up next. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.